How's it going, everyone? Welcome to episode four of the Conflict News Analysis Podcast. Joining me for this episode is my friend Josh. Josh was an aid worker who helped facilitate humanitarian assistance to Ukrainian refugees. He also assisted logistical movement of foreign volunteer fighters by transferring their luggage, ammunition, and weapons into Ukraine to be used at the front lines. After helping aid these foreign fighters, Josh began to look for more direct ways to help the Ukrainian cause. This ambition brought him closer and closer to the front lines. Hey, what's going on, man? Uh, nothing much. How you doing today? Good, good, good. So yeah, let's uh, let's jump into it, man. Um, All right, for sure. Yeah, I mean, first I wanted to um, I wanted to commend you. You know, it, it takes definitely a, a certain brave type of person to go over to, you know, essentially a, a battlefield and and help in a humanitarian capacity. So, you know, I wanted to, you know, give you props for that, for sure. Oh, um, thank you. Uh, it, I mean, I, I think there were a lot of people doing it, and I certainly didn't go to, like, the lengths that a lot of uh, people, for example, uh, I, I guess uh, there's, like, those five volunteers who died in Bakhmut from, like, an ATGM round or something like that. Like, I certainly did nothing like that. I really just helped fill the logistical side of things and i found a lot of rich people that were very willing to send money to like these smaller kind of grassroots ngos and i talked them into sending them money and getting them donations or sending me supplies and stuff and uh taking them whether it was to harkiv or uh, i went one time to make alive in the middle of the night on a train um and uh, dropped off some tourniquets there. But, yeah, just, um, I don't know. I didn't really do anything quite heroic like a lot of the, the volunteers in Bakhmut or uh, in the southeastern parts of Ukraine are with uh, evacuation and rescues right now. I just want to be clear about that. Oh, no, of course. It's all good. I mean, I can only imagine, like, the, the volunteers in, in Bakhmut, what they went through. I mean, Jesus. Yeah. Like, that's probably crazy. So, so, um, what made you decide to go to Ukraine and help volunteer? Um, right. So, that is a good question. I really don't know. So, I guess I became hyper fixated three months prior to the war starting on the uh, Russia-Ukraine issue, like, I, I don't know why, but everything I looked at is just like made my spidey senses tingle. And I was like, oh, this this is going to be like, at the time I thought, and I still kind of do, like I thought it was going to be uh, the kind, kind of final, you know, like the wooden piece of Jenga that was going to make the whole kind of global standard of how we've done things since... Uh, you know, since World War Two, kind of like tumbled to the ground. Um, and I was like, oh, if Russia invades Ukraine, China's going to get ideas about Taiwan, and it's all going to be terrible. There's going to be humanitarian crises everywhere. Shit's going to suck. Um, I won't be able to get sushi from like Whole Foods anymore. <laughs> like, it's it's going to be terrible. <laughs> you right, know, right. like, um, and then, uh, so... I don't know. Uh, I was just, I got kind of bummed out about that. And uh, 
and um yeah i don't know i just uh i don't know i just kind of watch it all unfold on tv and i bought about as much medical equipment gauze iv bags um catheters iv lines um chest decompression needles and stuff as I could, put them into two suitcases, and got a plane ticket to Poland. And, uh, yeah, I went there in, like, March 1st, I think. And, uh, yeah, that's that's kind of just how I went to, uh, how I went to uh, Ukraine. So you started off in Poland, and uh, what, what exactly were you really doing in Poland at first? To be honest, nothing. I kept trying to reach out to, like, the Red Cross or Doctors Without Borders, um, pretty much every single uh, humanitarian aid organization that I kind of knew of through the mainstream media or the traditional out- humanitarian outreach channels, and no one really got back to me. That's so, yeah, no one, uh, no one got back to me. And to be honest, from what I saw of the Red Cross um, and their work, in in ukraine i i'm kind of happy in in some ways that i didn't get a job uh with them uh because i don't think it would have been very fulfilling or have much effect um for people in direct need so um eventually i just went to this uh this uh town in eastern Poland called Lublin, which I absolutely adore that town. And I can honestly say if you're you or any of your listeners are ever in Eastern Europe and you wanna go to a really fun town that has its charm, visit Lublin. It's quite affordable, beautiful, amazing food, great kebab. Um yeah, it's a it's a cool city. So there was this um there was this church there. And I noticed all these trucks with the Ukrainian-Polish flag driving in and out of it and massive lines of uh, Ukrainian women and children um, out front of the, uh, out front of the, um, out front of the gates of the church. And I just went up to the church and I was like, hey, do you need a volunteer? Um, I've worked at homeless camps and stuff before. You know, I have some FEMA disaster relief training you know like can i help and they're like oh we don't speak english but if you want to volunteer just put on this jacket and i was like oh cool (laughs) so i volunteered there and there was like this this kind of like american dude who's already volunteering there and i was like oh it's so nice to find you know like another american and i guess he was an expat who'd been living in Poland for a while, and he was like, oh, yeah, you're American, cool. Um, Yeah, the Polish language is really hard to learn, so if you have any questions, ask me. And I, like, asked him if he had any information about, um, you know, any volunteering opportunities directly on the border and stuff like that, because I kind of wanted to be more involved in, in some ways. Um, and also I wanted to find a way where I could drop off all this medical, um, kit that I still had. Like, I was like, well, should I just drive to the border myself and find someone who I can give it to? Cause I'm sure there's someone who would take it. 
and he right, was like, you brought all that stuff with you, right? Yeah, right. Cases, yeah. Yeah. So he was <laughs> like, um, oh, well, there's this Ukrainian fellow who is out at the main um, central, you know, central plaza of, uh, of Lublin every day. And all, all he does is collect donations or any type of medical or military to drop off to his friends um, who would at the Ukrainian Polish border who drive into um, who drive into like Ukraine and at the time I think they were going to kind of sub districts in Kiev where the Russians um, still were at the time and uh, they would just drop it off to the local volunteer units there to augment themselves as needed so I went and talked with this guy Alexander um, who right now, ironically, I think is in the Ukrainian uh, military's version of the Q course to get oh, uh, wow. to become an SSO, I guess the Ukrainian version of Spetsnaz uh, soldier. Right, right. Uh, yeah. Um, and, and he was like, oh, thank you so much. And yeah, so I gave him like the suitcases and he was like, oh, keep one of the suitcases, the medical equipment, I'll, you know, like, I'll help get you to the border. And if you want, I'll just... You, um, I'll just, do you want to be a cook for like the Ukrainian military? And I was like, uh, wait, wait, hold on, where? And he was like, yeah, yeah, we'll just send you to like central Ukraine. You can cook in the Ukrainian military. And I was like, uh, uh, now hold on, dude. This is like, this is sounding a little bit crazy. Um, I, I don't escalating think I'm down quickly. for that. Yeah, this is escalating very quickly. And then him and a Polish friend of his like dragged me around uh, the town of Lublin all day looking for body armor and looking for a ballistics helmet and they were like no 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 it's fine man like we're gonna get you kitted out <laughs> and you're gonna go to <laughs> central ukraine and you're gonna be a goddamn cook and i was like uh no i don't feel comfortable with doing this at all and they were like all right fine like fine okay okay it's all right um you know fine this won't happen and at the time um i don't know i just i'd only it was like i think march 3rd I didn't really know what was going on at the border, and for all I knew, like if you were a if you were a fighting age male, once you got sent into Ukraine, or once you entered into Ukraine, you pro I thought you couldn't leave. I didn't know what the border guard situation was like. I couldn't get any real real time information and uh, stuff like that. And another aspect that didn't help is there were all these other people. Um, I noticed in Poland, who had arrived in Poland um, and were in Eastern Poland, who were all claiming to be like, you know, like, oh, we were part of the Foreign Legion before, you know, the, the you know, the, the current war broke out. We've been fighting in the Donbass since 2014. And they claimed to know all these like micro niche, I guess, Instagram celebrities. This is how I found out about the the kind of Instagram side of all these um I don't know, famous figures in Ukraine, like they were claiming to know this EOD tech named Swampy. They were claiming to have like, you know, worked with, uh, who is that, that British uh, gentleman who got captured by the Ukrainians, who was a, who was a Ukrainian Marine. Oh, uh, what's his name? Cossack, Cossack Gundi? Uh, yeah. Co yes, exactly. Yep. Right. Um, and so they were claiming to know all these people. And I was like, 
you guys are just full of like insanity and horseshit. Like you guys are just <laughs> in Poland telling me all this stuff and you're crazy. But they kind of got me freaked out that if I went to the border and I crossed, I could get in serious trouble trying to leave as a as a as what the border guards would think of as a fighting age male. But my Ukrainian friend said, no, no, no. As long as you have your American passport, you can leave. Um, right, so right. eventually he said, well, hold on. If you don't want to go into Ukraine because you have legitimate concerns that you wouldn't be able to get out. Um, how about you go to this, um, to this, uh, I guess Tesco is their version of Costco. It's like the e- European version of Costco or something, or the British version of Costco. So there's yeah. this massive, essentially emptied out Costco center right on the border in this town called Medica. And, oh. um, they'd turned it into a refugee center and he was like, go there and just volunteer and help out. And, um, and I went there and there were all kinds of things and there was no oversight. There was no, you know, kind of UN human rights watch, um, director or anything. It was just a bunch of volunteers. I think the local Medica government's, I don't know, staffers who kind of like were running the place. And then, I don't know, 10,000 plus refugees. Like, oh, wow. <laughs> and just, it was, it was a nightmare of like, who to get food to, who, you know, who needed to actually be sent to the urgent care, who was a sex trafficker, um, who was, you know, who was, yeah, like claiming to be this kid's, you know, father or something it's like no dude you're like some german asshole with like a gold chain on his neck saying where's the women where's the children i want to take them to germany you know it's like truly terrible um yeah i know man it sucked um that's crazy dude um yeah so so i kind of went there and um i realized that there was um a lot of inefficiencies for example the united nations we're sending, I don't know, I, I want to say at least a couple million dollars every week of food and really high quality medical supplies to that, um, to that refugee center. And no one had any idea what to do with it because World Central Kitchen and several other really respectable NGOs from France and I think Germany at the time were taking care of the food needs of everyone, the, the water needs of everyone, the medical needs of everyone. And then the Red Cross immediately just stepped in and uh, tried to take all the UN donated supplies and said, oh, no, no, they're ours and we will distribute them as we see fit. And I guess everyone who had been running the center up until the Red Cross came uh, had a real problem with that, uh, had a real problem with that because the Red Cross essentially did nothing and they came in there and commandeered the center and said it was all theirs. Oh, wow. Um, so I guess all these, uh, small grassroots NGOs just for like one night before the Red Cross officially, uh, the refugee centers was signed over to them, which, you know, good, good on the Red Cross because it was a lot more than a conglomerate of people wanting to help could handle. Like there were, there were legitimate sex traffickers. There were legitimate injuries. There were people with mental disorders. Um, there were people with extreme PTSD who needed, um, who needed an organization that, could deal with all of that in place 
Um, so, you know, it's good. I think that eventually the Red Cross did kind of take over in some capacity. But uh, so everyone just took what they felt was theirs from the humanitarian aid things, and they all just kind of went directly into Ukraine. And were like, we don't know what the situation is, but we're going to find out and we're going to help out how we can. So the Red Cross was uh, left with not that much stuff, I guess. But the UN kept shipping in stuff every week, so they were sorted. Uh-huh. Yeah, so that is the, the first out of three chapters of uh, the kind of Ukraine story completed. And if you have any questions, I don't know. Yeah, so so for that first part, like, I just want to backtrack a little. Like, how was how was that logistically, like, before the Red Cross came and took everything over? Like, logis- like how were you guys able to get, or were you able to get the proper, you know, stuff to the right people that you were helping? Was it, was it harder? So an interesting point of that is there were people who uh, volunteered with Doctors Without Borders in Syria. There were people who'd been in the Peace Corps. There were people who'd been uh, part of United Nations missions to uh, Africa in the Middle East. So there were a, a ton of people um, in Europe, from Europe, I guess, who'd, who'd dealt with stuff like this before, but to clarify, nothing of that scale, um, who'd set up their kind of stations, there were psychologists. It was really quite interesting. It almost felt like a non-hippie commune with like psychologists, doctors, professional chefs, um, you know, hired Polish private security, and uh, it, it was kind of all well run, but it just was not to scale, I guess, to deal with 5,000 plus, 6,000 plus, 7,000 plus, 10,000 plus Ukrainian refugees a day. Right. Okay. Um, so it was run quite well. But when the cracks started to form, the cracks started to form to the extent like where you just had, as I said, like German sex traffickers wandering around trying to gather up women and children. Um, yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. Yeah. It was truly terrible. Yeah. I mean, um, you know, in, in a situation like that, was there any type of law enforcement around or like, did, so they, guys? yeah, I, I am quite confident, I guess that, so they had one entrance in and one entrance out, uh, the local mayor's office put the entire police force up to the task. I think they were very concerned about um, the potential for sex trafficking or, I don't know, like Russian spies. I think there were a lot of Polish intelligence officers also there just from day one. It was kind of like unspoken that there were just Polish intelligent, military intelligence officers, I think, just walking around constantly trying to find like Russian spies amongst the refugees. At least that's what the directors and everyone kept saying. Like, you'll see like these Polish dudes dressed like really normally just casually talking to people and don't like don't piss them off or anything um and i was like oh, okay cool <laughs> but um yeah so basically they had uh, a bunch of the local paramedics and a bunch of the local police force there and once you drove in you went to the this tent that the mayor's office had set up and they would take your passport and your id card and they would put that into a system and they would give you a wristband that you would have to scan to go in and out so they could have some record of who was going with who and if you offered to be a driver 
you know, they give you a pink wristband and you'd have to uh, have a, you know, get that scanned and then have a record of who you were taking in and out of the refugee center. For example, lots of people volunteered to drive buses or minivans um, to take Ukrainian refugees, whether uh, it be to the Nordic countries or even as far as Britain um, from that refugee center. Um, so they there was like all that going on. Um, and that wasn't even helped out by the Red Cross. That was just a conglomerate of people um, figuring it out, which is quite impressive in a logistics capacity, I guess. But oh, yes, um, they, sure. they definitely tried to have security in place. And then they also hired Polish private security guards who, if I may ironically say, all private security everywhere, they, they all just think they're like, they're like special forces, like, but they're security, <laughs> like, they're, they're, they're mall cops, you know, it, it is, right. it's just, it's amazing, like, like, how prevalent that is everywhere around the world. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, the private security did their job, um, too. But it, like, like I said, when the cracks started to form, the cracks started to form to the point where, like, you just had, like, you know, this, this, like, do you know that, that guy uh, on Instagram, that German dude who, like, does perfumes and, like, colognes, like, Jeremy Fragrance. No, I, I don't follow that page. <laughs> okay, well, <laughs> uh, he's, like, he's this meme. But, um, but there was this German dude that almost kind of looked like him. It definitely wasn't him, but just, like, blonde hair, you know, like, like, a uh, white dress shirt, you know, unbuttoned down to, right. like, his, his chest nipples with, like, a gold, <laughs> like, 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 a Cuban gold link chain. <laughs> and then, like, uh, the cross, like, a gold cross. And he was, like, walking around being, like... And, like, I don't know, uh, the, the mayor's office had this one staffer whose job was to take everyone's ID and uh, and passport. And she was, like, sir, sir, you, like, you need to leave. Like, you didn't give me your passport or your ID. And he's, like, it's fine, it's fine. I'm here to take the women and children to Germany. Where are they? And then, <laughs> and then like, this old lady was, like... Oy, oh, možno, možno, Germansky. Like, she was, like, this old, like, Ukrainian babushka was, like, saying, like, heard him say Germany, and, like, she waddled over and was, like, I want to go to Germany. And he was, like, oh, no, 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 not you, not you. Not you, not you. <laughs> not you. <laughs> I was, like, and then and then we all, like, we, we got the, the private security to drag him out to the cops, and the cops, like, told him to fuck off. So, um, right. yeah, right. but, like, that was not, that was not a single incident. There were um, quite a lot of, and I, I guess again that is why I liked the Red Cross coming in because so many people there were, um, you know, they were part of the the people saying like, "Oh yeah, dude, like you know, I uh, like I remember this Irish kid telling me like, yeah, I was uh, part of the Foreign Legion in Ukraine, and he looked like you couldn't have been older than sixteen. Um, and just, he was like telling me I was part of the foreign legion in Ukraine, you know, like I've got blood on my hands. I had to get out because the Russians wanted to execute me. And, uh, and I was like, ah, oh, okay. Fascinating. And, but there were just quite a lot of, um, I don't know what the term is, but there were all these people who were so mentally ill that they kind of had imagined this, this fake life that they led in Ukraine. And they wanted to tell all these people like myself, who would expressed that, look, I've never been to Ukraine. This is kind of like my first major humanitarian response zone. I don't really know what I'm doing. They wanted to all kind of tell us, like, oh, hey, I used to be a soldier or a foreign legion volunteer, or I used to work for the CIA or the FBI 
or, or and they they all wanted to tell us all this stuff and it was quite clear that like, these people were like sycophants they're just really mentally ill or unwell and i just don't think it was good that people like that were trying to help out um ukrainian uh, civilians who had real problems on their hands right um, right right so yeah there were a lot of people like that oh um, man that's yeah. crazy yeah yeah so i mean uh yeah let's uh let's talk about so you, you ended up going into ukraine correct um yeah yeah so so what brought you to that like what, what were you doing um right so i kind of while I was in the refugee center, um, there were a lot of grassroots NGOs and stuff that would go to the refugee center to pick up, um, I don't know, tins of food, uh, pick up medical supplies and stuff, and just do all this because they would drive into Ukraine um, to drop it off to um whether it was military contacts or civilian contacts or just anyone who reached out to them saying like, look, like my house has been without power for a week. Uh, I need food. I need water. I need this. There were people uh, on the, the right along the border, like where the metal picket fence between Poland and Ukraine are, who'd set up this giant um, kind of like, I don't know, refugee camp that was uh, a couple, I would say a couple miles before the, the Tesco center. And these people, they would go to the Tesco center and they would occasionally go to the Tesco center, I would say. And, uh, and they would like pick up just, you know, bulk food, bulk supplies, all this stuff. And I always talk to them and they were like, oh yeah, like you can totally go in and out of Ukraine. It's, it's totally safe. Uh, so once the Red Cross came in and set up shop, in the uh, refugee center, I kind of like, they basically told everyone to fuck off. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. So I had a rental car at the time, and I just drove to the border. And uh, um, as I was driving to the border, I just kind of was like, okay, well, I want to go into Ukraine now. Like, there was a part of me that was like, this is very interesting. I would like to see what's actually going on. Um, and what's happening in Ukraine. So I went to the border um, and I just started talking to random people. And through that, ironically, I found someone's Instagram page. Um, his name is Charles McBride. And he's a, uh, I think he, he, he just became essentially a, a journal, a pseudo journalist uh, a couple weeks prior Um because I think a f few days before or during the invasion, he was like, I want to see what, what's going on in Ukraine. Like, I want so he flew to Ukraine. Uh, he had right. no, I don't think he had a history of journalism, but he had a history of like humanitarian aid work and civil affairs and outreach. And uh, so he wanted to see what the big deal was. So he went there and he got kind of stuck during the war. And then, um, so he, then used his Instagram page to start documenting everything that was happening. And he, he helped found a couple NGOs while he was there. So he was doing all this stuff. And I found his Instagram page and I was like, fascinating. Um, 
so I kind of like followed his thing and from his Instagram page, I deduced that um, this Western city in Ukraine called Lviv was, you know, the Russians weren't knocking at the gate quite yet. Cause this was still in March. Like I had no real understanding of what was going on at all really. So this was still quite early in March. Um, okay. And, uh, and yeah, so I uh, I found his page and I just kept snooping around his page and then I got introduced to this whole um this whole open source community, I guess, uh on on social media and Instagram and I was like watching all this stuff and I was like, Wow, this is fascinating. Um, this is really interesting. Uh so I kept looking into it and I uh I kept looking into it and then from that I followed I started following um uh, some Ukrainian soldiers who were like posting really popular footage of the war from their social media accounts that uh, I guess were filmed by them on GoPros and stuff like that. And I started um, DMing them. Um, I started DMing them and asking them, hey, what, what is a piece of medical equipment or kit that you actually need, that you, that you find truly beneficial? And they were all telling me, cat tourniquets. Um, not piece of shit, Chinese no- uh, knockoff tourniquets, like just any type of tourniquet, anything that can augment a standard issue IFAC. And I was like, oh, okay, interesting. What else? They were like, uh, chesty compression needles. Um, and I was like, okay, cool, interesting. Um, and I was like, oh, thanks for the information. I'm going to try and find this stuff. Um, and if I find it, like, how do I get it to you? And they were like, you can send it to us or you can like, like, come to this part of Ukraine and drop it off to our like battalion commander's base and we'll pick it up later. And I was like, I don't think I can do that. So I'm going to try and send it to you to, uh, while I'm in Ukraine. And they're like, perfect, fine. Thank you. Uh, and it was interesting because I was like, having these conversations <laughs> over social media and it felt quite, um, it felt quite weird, but you know, so um, I went back to Lublin in Poland and I started searching online for uh, Polish uh, medical supply stores. Um, and the great thing about Poland is everything is so cheap there. Um, but I'd found, uh, I guess I didn't realize it, but everything in Poland, medical gear-wise, military gear-wise, tactical gear-wise, um, was uh, was kind of sold out. Um, so I just spent like I don't know, like 24 hours worth of time just really searching for um, vendors and suppliers in Poland who had medical supplies uh, or tactical medical supplies that I could get. And I eventually found uh, a company that had, uh, I think, this tourniquet brand called a Soft T Tourniquet. Um, I th- are you familiar with the, the Soft T Tourniquet? No. No, not familiar uh, with okay. that. Um, yeah, so... I guess it's like just a, um, I don't know, I guess like some former special forces guys designed this tourniquet design, but it's a, it's a pretty solid tourniquet. I've, I've used it a couple of times now. Nice. Um, but beforehand I knew nothing about tourniquets or anything. Um, and, uh, so I bought, like, I reached out to like just a bunch of really, um, decent people now in America. And I was like, look, I'm here in in Poland, I want to go into Ukraine and I want to deliver like medical supplies and stuff and really help out people in need. And, you know, do you want to contribute to like keeping Ukraine, you know, 
independent or away from Russia. And they were like, yeah, sure. So I got sent a fair amount of money. Um, and I just bought a bunch of uh, tourniquets, chesty compression needles, which I will say this. I- I'm not 100% sure of this, but to everyone listening on your podcast who goes to North American Rescue and buys those fancy chesty compression needle kits. Like, I don't want to get in trouble with North American Rescue, but I think you're getting ripped off because essentially those chesty compression needles they sell, I think they're just... 14 or 16 gauge uh, IV needles, essentially. Um, And they're they're like, you can buy those in bulk. Like, you can buy 100 of those needles in bulk for, like, $10. Um, And I don't know what they're selling them on or in their uh, little pen case packaging. But but I'm almost 100% positive if you took that, that needle out of the packaging... It's gonna be the same needle you'd buy a hundred pieces in bulk of uh from some like shitty Taiwanese pharmaceutical company. Oh wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's just just a heads up there. Yeah, I had to learn about tactical medicine really fast. Um, right. right. So, okay. So well meanwhile, while all so I place all these orders to get a bunch of soft tea tourniquets. A uh, couple medical pouches, um, hemostatic gauze, hemostatic dressing, um, and I guess there's this like hemostatic glue that it, it was just called like glue or something. But apparently, you just shoot it into a bullet wound, and it's like it turns into this hemostatic glue. It's like a glue. So I got I got a few pouches, packets of that. Um, I was waiting on that stuff to be uh, delivered to my address in Lublin at the time. So what I did was I went back to the border. Um, like right on the border uh, to the kind of like refugee camp to see if I could do anything. Not not at the uh, Tesco Center, but um, like there was this actual refugee camp right on the border where they would process people and send them out to the Tesco Center. And uh, I went to see if there was anything I can do there. And the first thing I noticed I could do there is there were all these Ukrainian civilians, mainly fighting age males, and uh, 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 kind of like I don't know, like, you know, just all these Ukrainian women as well um, returning to Ukraine with, like, massive suitcases and luggage. And, and people were like, oh, if you want to help, like, you can, like, just offer to take people's suitcases um, across if you want. And I was like, oh, okay, sure. So I spent, like, my first couple of days on the border while I was waiting for all these medical supplies hauling people's um, suitcases and really heavy luggage across. And one day I was talking to this lady um, and she was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to like this town called Rivne. And then from there I'm going like, I'm trying to catch a train here to my like little village uh, in an, right outside of Odessa to drop off um, stuff for, you know, the soldiers there. And I'm like, oh, cool, cool. Yeah, yeah. And she was like, oh, do you want to see? And I'm like, oh, yeah, sure. And she unzips her bag, like her this giant duffel bag. <laughs> And like in it is literally, um, uh, I don't, it's like, I, I'm unfortunately, I don't know much about, um, rifles in any capacity. So in it, I, what I'm, I'm assuming are, uh, is, is it a quad rail or a Picatinny rail that you see on a lot of AK builds that you can like attach stuff to or uh, not AK, AR builds that you can AR like, builds. Yeah. Yeah. 
So I guess the equivalent of that for AKs, um, I don't know, whatever. So a bunch of those um, red dot sites, ACOG stuff. And I'm like, Jesus Christ, dude, like <laughs> you're having me roll this through the border of Poland. And like, and she's like, yeah, yeah, it's fine. <laughs> and I'm like, really? And she's like, yeah, I've done it every day for like the past couple of days. And I'm like, oh, okay. Um and uh, and so I was like, oh, so it's fine. And she was like, yeah, yeah, it's it's a hundred percent fine. Um, and and I'm like, be honest, what have you taken through? And she was like, oh, I can't tell you. And I was like, oh, so you're showing me this, but you can't tell me everything you've taken through. And she's like, no, no, no. And I was oh, like, wow, okay, damn, <laughs> um, uh, damn. Uh, so they were just like hauling all this stuff through into Ukraine. I would like to clarify. <laughs> I don't want your listeners thinking they were hauling this stuff out of Ukraine. But they right, were hauling right, it right. into Ukraine. Uh, the Polish, I don't think at the time that was really a concern to the Polish Ukrainian guards because they wouldn't even have them put any of the luggage through the security scanners. They would like just wink at the border guards, and the border guards would be like, "Come on through." Oh my god! <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's like, oh, it's you, it's you, Svetlana. You, how many ACOGs do you have today? You know, come on through. Oh um, yeah, so god. they would do that. And that was uh, that was what I did for several days until I got my uh, my shipment of um, my shipment of uh, IFAC. So basically, what I did was uh, I went, I drove from the border back to Poland, picked up my IFAC. But while I was there, um, I had a couple Polish friends who I'd made, and one of them was in the uh, not the Polish reserves, but the Polish regular military. And I like kind of asked him. I was like, "Yo, dude, like." where's like the polish mafia like where's where do you buy guns and like you know weapons and stuff like like low-key and he was like oh you want to know and i'm like yeah yeah i want to know so everything that happens in this part of the story is hypothetical i want to say <laughs> um gotcha, because gotcha. so hypothetically i felt like i could really support the war effort um, and probably the border guards wouldn't care if like i could bring in specialized pieces of weapon or kit <clears throat> Uh, for people. Um, uh, and I had a friend at the time also who just joined up with the Foreign Legion. Um, and so I was, and he was like, yo, if you could, you know, if you could find me an AR platform, I would really like it. Uh, and I don't, and I don't like, and I pay for it. And I don't, I don't, I don't like shooting AKs. And if I'm going to be in the Foreign Legion, like I want something Gucci. Uh, and I was like, oh, okay, yeah, cool. So he, uh, my Polish friend, um, at the time, you know, he takes me to this, you know, random flower shop, uh, hypothetically, and, and he just, like, tells the, you know, the, the Polish lady there, like, cutting flowers, like, oh, this is my friend, you know, Josh, he's from the States, uh, he wants to look him back, and the lady's like, he wants to look him back, and he's like, yeah, 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 uh, and so they just take me in back, and then in back, they open up this kind of cellar, and then I walk in, and it's just, like, a massive like a massive gun store down oh below. <laughs> yeah so do you remember in some of the photos i sent you there was like a box full of like glock mags yes yes yeah. so that was that was a uh, one photo out of that gun store that i kind of snuck in <laughs> um but yeah they were like i don't i don't i it, it was not an all illegal gun store it was kind of like a low-key criminal place i think um and uh yeah so um, I kind of was put on the spot right then and there because I guess because these guys are criminals, like they wouldn't take too kindly to me coming in there and like not buying anything. And sure enough, they had ARs right there on the wall. 
Um, and uh, and I was like kind of really put on the spot there. I was like, um, uh, okay, um, how much are you the Glock magazines for? And they were like, oh, yeah, that you can buy those in bulk, so like $50, and that entire box is yours. Oh, um, word, okay. Yeah, and uh, and I, I did know uh, because so many people, um, I think so many French people who used to be in the French Foreign Legion at the time um, were going into Ukraine through the, the border that I had volunteered at, and I had met a couple of them. They were all saying, like, yeah, the Foreign Legion has Glocks waiting for us uh, and stuff like that. And I was like, okay, cool, I can, I can get this to the Foreign Legion base uh, that... Ironically, the Foreign Legion base that was um that was I think do you remember the the first casualty count that came out of the Foreign Legion and like a Western base, like the Russians found them through social media and they um, like bombed it. Like there were like all these Foreign Legion casualties. Oh it was yeah, like right yeah, during I the beginning that, of the war. Yeah, ironically yeah, that, wild, that base. Yeah. yeah, ironically that base and I was like, cool, I'm gonna I'm gonna drop off all these Glock mags that I bought for like fifty bucks there. <laughs> um, and they're like and I'm like, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna I promise I'm gonna come back. I'm not at all fussed out by this place, you know, like I'm gonna come back, you know. Yeah, they're like, Oh, thank you for shopping with us and I was like, Oh yeah, bye bye. Bye bye. Um hypothetically, of course. Um, yeah, of course. And then so I have in my backpack at like 9am in the morning in just like this tiny sleepy town of Lublin, like little metropolitan, sleepy little metropolitan town, like a backpack full of Glock mags. And my friend says, Oh, it's, 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 you know, it's probably not a problem, but you are a foreigner. So just like, don't have your backpack searched by the police. And he was like, well, anyways, good day. I need to go to the base now. And I was like, okay, cool. Um, so yeah, uh, I was kind of like a little paranoid, a little freaked out. I went back to my hotel with my backpack bunch of glock mags and they even threw in a uh a, a, uh an ak magazine uh from bulgaria like fresh stock you know from bulgaria and they were like test it out it's really it's really good quality it hasn't been opened since the cold war it's in it's like <laughs> it's in that like it's it's gelatin or oil that like right, gun yeah, oil yeah. preserve you know yeah. and that like plastic wrap thing and they're like see if you like it you he said you're going to ukraine right like see if it's see if you like our stuff and, and i was like for sure um anyways so yeah uh and then i get back to my hotel um i had this huge shipment of like 100 plus soft tea tourniquets and all these all this stuff and i'm like i'm in way over my head here how do people do this so um i text a couple of the soldiers that are still like active on social media at the time and i'm like hey how many tourniquets do you guys need how much of this do you need and they're like we want you to send it all but it's just you know, that would be too selfish, like, send us X amount of this. So I ended up clearing half my kit of tourniquets, and uh, I put it into shipping boxes, uh, just cardboard shipping boxes. I load them into my rental car, and the rest of the tourniquets and stuff I just have in a grocery bag sitting in the back seat. And then my backpack, I put my little, um, uh, I put my little, um, you know, you know those TSA locks? Yes. <laughs> so I just put a little TSA lock on my backpack and tossed that into my back seat. And I really drove really carefully that day in Poland. Um, and I drove to the border and uh, I walked across the border. Um, first things first, I walked across the border 
um, with the uh, tourniquets and stuff in the um, in uh, in the packages, and I took them to the uh, Ukrainian version of USPS or UPS or FedEx. I put in the addresses, and they were like, "Oh, just so you know, like this this." this address is in like southeast ukraine like there's no guarantee that they're going to get there for a while and i was like oh, okay that's fine and i took a photo of the receipts sent dm them to the uh to the soldiers i've been in contact with on instagram they're like oh yeah that's fine it'll take like about a week to get there but as long as we have the the post the tracking receipts it's fine so then i still had about 50 tourniquets um that i needed to unload and, like, I didn't really know what to do with them. And uh, I'd been following this guy at the time, Charles McBride, and he seemed to be doing, like, legitimate outreach and humanitarian aid work. Um, and I was like, I DM'd him, and I was like, hey, dude, um, can I drop off these tourniquets to you? Like, I have all this medical supplies. Like, are, um, you're going to Kharkiv in a couple of days, uh, apparently, allegedly on your story, like, can I drop off these medical supplies to you if you're going to Kharkiv and you, can you drop them off to people that would use them uh, kind of like in Kharkiv near the front lines? And he was like, yeah, sure, absolutely. So I met up with him in Lviv. I handed off the bag of um, tourniquets to him. Uh, I think we, we had, a, we had a, a cool little meal at this like Ukrainian, like really weird, like Renaissance-themed medieval kind of like steakhouse pretty neat uh he had a steak for like four bucks um (laughs) yeah uh and yeah so uh that's what happened and then immediately i hit up my uh my uh french friend who just joined the foreign legion and uh, i was like yo dude it's about to be curfew but um i have all these glock mags here um, hypothetically, again, like, uh, <laughs> like what, like, how do I get this to your guys's base? And he was like, okay, where in Lviv are you? And I was like, here. And he was like, okay, we're going to send some people from the base. You're going to pick up these Glock. We're going to pick up the Glock mags and it's going to be the end of the story. And I was like, yeah, sure. Sure, dude. So, um, yeah, I waited until like eight thirty, and then like, um, they came, dropped off the, uh, that the the special package to them they're like oh you know like with their french accents like oh thank you sir we oui, we oui, you know like right right <laughs> yeah, yeah like that <laughs> uh, my friend was not with them he was still on the base um and uh yeah so anyways um i dropped those all that off that happens and then um and then i go straight back to the um to the border and while I'm on the border, I kind of realized, like, oh, I really like doing logistics. I really like meeting people that are in Ukraine. And I'm going to kind of sound like a bit of an asshole for saying this, but I kind of did kind of enjoy that type of, I don't know, that type of life where it's just, like, really chaotic and hectic, going into a war zone, making stuff happen, shaking hands, and just making things happen. And it also right. seemed like no one really had any real logistics capabilities. Like all I saw were people like asking for things on social media. They like I DM them and I was like, yo, you can't just post stuff like that on social media. How how am I gonna verify you? How am I gonna authenticate you? How am I gonna see that you're actually not gonna misappropriate this? Like like 
I understand there's OPSEC involved. Like so many people talk about OPSEC, dude. I hate that word. It sounds so pretentious to me, but I understand. Like, I understand it's like a war. Like you don't want to get bombed. Right. Um, yeah. But it still Especially sounded now, so pretentious you know. to me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but you know now, um, like it's so easy to like geolocate someone. Dude, it's it, crazy. They have yeah. a technology now that can locate uh, the DJI pilots, right? Like yeah. there's a, yeah. Um, uh, we should, we should get into that like a little later because i i uh i i have a friend who's now um he he's a he's a he, he build he builds drones um for the ukrainian military suicide drones all kinds of drones demining drones he just builds them oh but, wow uh, now he's he's going to be an official drone pilot for the uh for a, a unit of the ukrainian military but uh he was saying they're just ditching the dji now because it's such a it's such a concern so they're right. only building like uh, kamikaze drones now. Uh, right. Yeah, but um, so anyways, um, yeah. So I was like, I really like just the idea of being like, okay, I'm I'm useful, I'm helpful, um, and I can make stuff happen. And it seems like no one else is really taking this type of an initiative to like connect people. Um, like for example, um, the French Foreign Legion buddy I made. I was like. You know, there's there's several French NGOs that have all this food, and a lot of them. I know a lot of these guys brought uh, military grade like body armor and equipment, and they're all right on the border there, and they're looking for people to donate this to. And you have your Foreign Legion, you know, uh, booklet. You have your you're signed into the Ukrainian Armed Forces. You know, like. Like you can leave because you're a French citizen, even though you're in the Ukrainian armed forces. Like go, go to the border, collect that stuff, walk right through. Or if you want, like I can do it. And he was like, "Really? You can just do that?" And I was like, "Yeah." And so he's like, "Give me their WhatsApp contact and stuff." And I, I gave him the the WhatsApp contacts, and immediately he like got like a bunch of messages of solidarity from all these French volunteers that were on the border, and like they sent him pictures of all the equipment that would be suitable for the military that they had. And he was like, Oh, this is great. And I was like, yeah, dude. So I just, there you go. There's a resource. Um, and I guess an issue was there wasn't much communication going on between anyone at the time. So yeah, I really just liked trying to help out and do that. So I spent the next couple of weeks on the border uh, going back to Lviv, just finding people through social media or through um, random conversations at bars or the local shawarma shop, um, you know, and just connecting people and making things happen that way. Um, and trying to uh, sift through a lot of the, you know, the American bullshitter. There were a lot of American and Canadian bullshitters there who were clearly nothing but sex tourists or just uh... people that w wanted to say, like... Like, for example, there were these two... I still remember them. Like, there were these two... Uh, overweight kind of like dudes with uh cowboy hats on wearing full body armor in Lviv <laughs> with like glock combat knives on you know and you know uh skinny cut t-shirts you know um and like uh they had like uh they had a bunch of like i i wanted to guess they were from texas or some part of of that that uh that part of america and it was like right about to be past curfew and i was like oh yo are you guys uh part of the foreign legion and they just kind of looked me up and down and uh like literally
spit on the floor and like called me a, a racial slur and like what told me to fuck, fuck off. Yeah, I know. And and <laughs> like and like I was like, damn, bro, like what the fuck? <laughs> um uh and uh yeah, so I, I guess there were a lot of just people in Lviv who like to play dress up as soldiers and not really do anything. Um so, so I didn't want yeah, I didn't want medical kit or equipment to go to them and they were like legitimate people whether they were paramedics whether they were um ems or uh you know like uh, trauma doctors uh all over ukraine that that needed uh real equipment and stuff like that as well as soldiers so i was like okay i don't think staying in lviv and just like spending an entire day trying to vet someone or like have them you know, send me their credentials or their place of work and just photos of all of this. Like, I don't think it's the most productive way I could utilize my time. How do I, like, cut all this in half? And I was like, okay, the only way to do it is to go to, like, these these active hotspots myself and just take a bunch of medical equipment with me so people don't think, like, I'm weird or, like, I'm some kind of, like, Russian informative. Ask my questions to people that give the right responses, like try to give more medical supplies too. And to people who give me like just kind of bullshit responses, give them minor medical supplies to really find out what's going on. And so I can also like come back to these, um, you know, uh, volunteer shelters or centers that have all this medical equipment, all this food supply and give them good information about where their stuff could actually go in the future. Um, after I vetted them. So that's kind of how I started, um, planning to go deeper into ukraine right right that makes a lot of sense um so yeah yeah so i mean as you went deeper into ukraine like where did you end up uh first place i ended up was um in kiev oh a quick caveat a quick caveat there um so it is through that french foreign legion dude who's my friend that i um I don't think anybody ever released the official death toll on that strike at the Foreign Legion base. Um, there was like never any official word, but the word I got, I just want to say, uh, it was 187. Okay. Yeah, that was the KIA there. Right. Um, right. Yeah, according to him, anyways. But um, yeah. So, anyways, so first place I went to was uh, was Kiev. And um, I was meeting up with uh, actually a friend from the States who had also joined the Foreign Legion there. Uh, and he wanted to have a drink with me in the bar. And I wanted to, like, have a drink with him because I was like, oh, yeah, this dude probably going to die. Um, like, I didn't want to sugarcoat it. And I was like, yo, dude, like, you realize you're probably going to die. And he was like, ah, maybe. And I was like, yeah, I'd toast to that, maybe. Yeah, so I went to, uh, yeah. So I went to Kiev with, like, two giant just duffel bags my backpack and another backpack. I looked like just a total idiot, like walking around with like <laughs> two backpacks and two duffel bags, but they're all just jammed full of like medical supplies and stuff. Um, and uh, so, yeah. Um, so I went to Kiev. I met up with him. He took me to this bar and, uh, and um, like this bar, I guess is really popular with the foreign legion, with the Ukrainian military, but also with, um, I guess, like, I don't want to say, like, 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 you can ask me any any sort of question you want. Like, I'm not 
trying to paint a pro-Ukrainian picture or a native Ukrainian picture, but also a lot of like, um, also a lot of, um, I think there were legitimate um, businesses or governments or I don't, I don't know what, who had people that they wanted to get out in Ukraine and they hired like the best of the best mercenaries or the best of the best like people who'd spend their entire lives fighting. And I found that out at this bar because um, while I was there, my friend, you know, we were, we were having drinks and he was with his unit and everyone in his unit like kept rubbing my hair and like calling me like, like, oh, it's so adorable. You're here, but you're not here to fight. You know, like, <laughs> kept calling me pussy. Yeah. And then, I don't know, like, I, I made some joke about, like, a stereotype about, like, you know, something. And, like, they all went quiet because, like, they all got freaked out. It's like I knew something about them. And it turns out, like, the joke I made was like uh, about like where this one guy was from and then everyone like w- for whatever idea after that assumed like I was from the CIA or something they're oh, like oh, oh dude <laughs> like don't like dude yeah dude we're we apologize like we're really sorry like like they thought like I was like making a remark about like where this guy was from or something like to say like I knew where he was from oh, and, I, wow. and, and, he, and he was like oh dude like I'm sorry like just <laughs> chill out like whoa, whoa whoa chill out and then like and the entire time, I was really quiet because I noticed the room was full of people with guns and, like, all probably people who were, like, freaked out um, from, like, you know, and they were all probably, like, seeing, like, really scary shit, had PTSD, been fighting Russians. And I was just, like, trying to be quiet because I didn't want to offend everyone. But they all thought, like, according to my friend later, <laughs> I was being quiet because I was, like, eyeing the room up and, like, trying to pick targets. <laughs> like, they thought I was, like, some, like, tell. fucking, yeah, like, like, human source for the CIA or something. <laughs> and they were, like, they were, like, they all, like, really respected me afterwards. But then, um, uh, but, yeah, to get, to loop the story uh, back to, um, like, why I think there were, like, um, foreign mercenaries or, like, people who'd really really seen a lot of warfare in their life there was this um this really suave suave black dude uh walked in there and he was like dressed in like really classy trench coat and he had like a north african accent i want to say i don't think he was from like zimbabwe or rhodesia but he was definitely from like a part of africa where uh they'd seen a lot of warfare and like my friend and a couple other people just start shitting on him uh, for whatever reason, and like he, um, and he's like, "Have you guys been to the front yet?" Because that's just where I got off from. And they're like, "Oh, you got off from the front, and you're dressing in a trench coat, and you smell like, you know, Tom Ford or something." He was like, "Yes, I, you know, like I, I believe I need to dress classy and stuff like that." Right. Anyways, so, um, anyways, like they really start to like get on his nerves, and he pulls out a gun on them, and is like, and he's like, and he's like. And, and anyway, so like their legion, the foreign legion commander at the time just walks in and is like, okay, everyone, you like, just, let's just chill out. Like, calm down. He's like, no, 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 no. These people are children. Like, they don't, they don't know what war is. And they've like disrespected me. I'm going to kill one of them. And I was just kind of there. Like, I was just like, I was like, like, like this dude, like, I, I, from what I could, like, I met so many bullshitters now in my life and like so many people would like, clearly killed people or like had ptsd 
like and i think this guy was the start of it like this dude i think he was 100 percent serious like he was just like i need to kill one of these people like to, to set my point here and he like he was in his like he must have been in his mid 40s or something right but anyway so what i did is i immediately ran to the bar and uh i i knew this guy was drinking cider uh because he liked to drink cider he didn't like beer so he might have been celiac you know for any any analysts listening in on this like they're trying to figure out who this guy is um right. he, he might have been celiac right because he didn't drink beer like and he wouldn't drink whiskey like if he would drink hard liquor he would drink vodka so it's like it's like okay so maybe he's celiac you know like um but anyway it's so like immediately grabbed a cider and i ordered a, drown- a round of shots and i went back and was like gentlemen gentlemen because I really didn't want to see anyone die. I was like, I'm, I'm too young to see this. I don't want yeah, to see like, anyone dude, die. Like, uh... Yeah, like, <laughs> gentlemen, gentlemen, gentlemen. Like, let's just calm down. And I was like, here's a cider for you, sir, to celebrate you coming from, from the front lines. And these people here, and I, like, patted my friend on the shoulder. Like, I was like, have clearly never seen the front lines. I've never seen the front lines. These guys know how to handle weapons. They've never seen the front lines yet. But, you know, they're here to fight. You've clearly fought. And he was like... And and I, I probably shouldn't have said that because he's like, oh, I've clearly fought. And I was like, yeah, dude, like, like I'm just trying to defuse the situation. Like, he didn't point his gun at me. And I was so relieved because I would probably shit myself if he did. It was, like, so scary. It was, like, so tense. <laughs> and I was like, like, dude, let's just, like, leave it at that, right? Like, why spend an, a bullet on, like, teammates even though they disrespected you when you could spend it on a Russian? And he was like, okay. So, anyways, he leaves to another part of the bar. And the foreign legion guys they immediately go take the shots and like woof, we made it out of that one eh, boys and they're all like like yada 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 um anyways so i was like okay i I need to get the fuck out of here this is way too much for me like this is like everyone thinks i'm part of the cia they're gonna try and get me into like their fucking intel collecting part of the foreign legion like like their base commander was like do you uh do you want to like get into like our like our all source like team like we're trying to do all this and i was like and and I would have probably accepted because it sounded like such a cool gig, but I I didn't know anything about that. And I, I told him, like, yeah, I don't know how to do any of that. And he's like, ah, got you, got you. And I like, was yeah, like, no, right, right. no, dude. It's like, no, dude, I literally don't know. It was, it was so annoying, man. It was so annoying. Uh, <laughs> so annoying. Um, but yeah, anyways, as I was leaving, the guy like, hey, you want to sit down and have a drink with me? And I was like, yeah, sure. And he's like, um, He's like, what are you drinking? I was like, I'll have a cider too, because I'm celiac. And he's like, ah, okay, I get that. I get that. And so I get a cider. Um, and, uh, and he's like, look, man, I have a request. Like, like, I don't know who you work for. And I'm like, oh, my fucking God. <laughs> I was like, dude. <laughs> and he was like, no, I, 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 it really, like, it, it, it was kind of frustrating, to be honest. I was like, dude, like, I pu- opened my backpack. I showed him all the rest of the medical supplies that I had because I dropped off most of the medical supplies to people uh, at the bar that had shown me their um, credentials and stuff. And I managed to find like two paramedics and emergency medical uh, responders at the bar too. And I gave the bulk of that to them because I thought they could put it more to use with civilians. Um, uh, Because like the Georgian, the foreign, so the foreign legion guys who are, who are part of the Georgian legion, I guess to be specific, they they said, "Oh, dude, we thought you had like military grade like uh, weapons and stuff. Like we we have plenty of tourniquets. Don't worry. Like find someone else who needs them." So I, I offloaded most of them to the local um to the non non legion military, like the Ukrainian military uh, members that were in the bar, and uh, some EMS and paramedic guys that were off duty having a drink there. 
But anyways, to get back to this dude from Africa, this rather suavely dressed dude from Africa, he was like, um, look, I don't know who you work for, but like, 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 you know, like, 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 I like, I'm not here. You understand? Like, I can't, I can't go back and face like charges or, or tribunals. Like, like it was really hard getting here, but the contract was really good for me. Like, um, just don't like, like, please, like I'm asking you man to man, don't out me. Don't say I'm here. And I'm like, dude, I won't like you you believe me. Like, like, don't worry, man. I'm literally not going to tell anyone. And, and I was like, but I had to say it with such a straight face that he would believe me because he had a fucking gun on him, you know, and he'd already pulled it on like my friend and they didn't do shit because like, they really thought he was going to kill him. So I was like, OK, I got to I got to really sell it to him like he'd believe me. So I was like, yeah, I don't even know who you are, man. I was just yeah, like, here having a drink at a bar. Yeah, don't worry about it. <laughs> Anyways, yeah, I leave there. I get back to Lviv, um, because it's like a, dude, fuck, it was such a long train ride, man. It sucked. I got, I got back to Lviv. Like, I, I was stuck in the station, so I got to that bar. I went back to the train station. Curfew at the time started at like six thirty or seven, so I got back into the train station, got locked into the train station, and I had to wait for the fucking train until like two a.m. in the morning. Uh. Got on the train. And then as I'm leaving on the train, they, they're putting, like, uh, plastic tape on all the windows, the conductors are. And I'm like, why are you putting that on the windows? And then there's, like, a giant fucking explosion right next to the tracks. And, like, one of the windows just breaks, but all the glass kind of falls into the tape. And he's, like, says something in Ukrainian or Russian. And I assume he just said, that's why. Yeah. Um, and I was like, oh, okay, cool. <laughs> um but anyways, at that it was at that moment that I realized traveling on train is not necessarily the safest thing in Ukraine, but it is still pretty damn safe compared to like most other ways of traveling. Okay. Um but yeah, so I get back to Lviv at around six AM in the morning. And at this time this guy Charles McBride has actually just gotten back to Ukraine. I'm sorry, just gotten back to Lviv from Kharkiv. And I message him and I ask him like how Kharkiv was and all that stuff, and is it, like, kind of safe to go there to, like, do some scouting and see, like, what I can get up to and, like, if I can help people out there. And he's like, you know, it's it's not really safe, but there's not, like, Russian soldiers parading around the city, if that's what you want to know. And I was like, yeah, that's what I wanted to know. Thank you. Um, so, yeah, I went and uh, immediately went back to Poland for a couple days of rest and relaxation because uh, I was like kind of paranoid that like that that dude was really going to shoot me so I was just going out <laughs> in Poland I ordered some more medical supplies um, and I uh, I just went back uh, to Ukraine with a train ticket to Kharkiv yeah nice nice and then so so then you got to Kharkiv and what were you doing there uh, yeah so I got to um Kharkiv and a Ukrainian friend of mine uh, gave me his apartment keys and he was like look if you're going to be in Kharkiv man just take my apartment keys stay there for free and uh, yeah so um, I got to Kharkiv and um... fuck man sorry my my brain's a little fuzzy right now Um, that's all good so I got to Kharkiv checked into his apartment and Oh yeah, yeah. Do you know the filthy American? 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so the filthy American, um, he was, uh, so me and him kind of been boys, like, through social media since, like, 20, 2020, I think. Nice. <laughs> and um, he'd asked me, because, um, like, because we'd been following each other, and, like, and he was, he was seeing on all, like, my Instagram stories, because I was, like, trying to document that people's funds weren't being misappropriated through some of my um, Instagram stories at the time, and also, like, to, like, because um, some people who donated money followed me, so, like, I wanted to show them, like, where their money was going and stuff, too. Um, he was, like, he'd, like, been, like, yo, dude, like, you, you've been in Ukraine, huh? And I was, like, yeah, 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 dude. And he's, like, I can't find much information about it on the open source thing, like, what's it like? Like, what's it like? And I was like, Oh, dude, you're fine all the way up until Kiev. And I like I told him literally what to do, how to get there, how it was at the border. I gave him all the information I could. And um, so yeah, so um, he had managed to make his way to Kharkiv as a Oh, no, sorry, this is later. So I went to Kharkiv first. Um, and the guy who let me stay at his apartment, um, Maxim, he had a friend who, uh, was a volunteer for the, um, the, uh, Ukrainian military in, um, in Kharkiv. Uh, so he put me in touch with him and was like, if you have medical equipment and stuff, like, uh, get it to him. He'll, he'll have you drop it all over Kharkiv and like, please like help out, like, these villages in Kharkiv because our government has kind of, like, given up um, on this, like, on this area for now. And, like, they need as much help as they can get. Um, and the soldiers there need it, too, um, because they're just under such intense artillery barrages and fire all the day. So I was like, okay, yeah, sure. So I met up with um, this guy, really, a uh, really cool dude uh, in Kharkiv, Maxim's friend. Uh, I can't remember his name, unfortunately. But uh, basically, he picks me up, gives me some body armor, and is like, all right, let's go. Uh, and I'm like, all right, where are we going? Do we need my medical equipment? He's like, no, 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 not yet. And I was like, oh, okay. But he just gives me body armor, and we hop in his car, and we start driving outside of Kharkiv. And the more outside Kharkiv we drive, like, the more and more of uh, the extent of the destruction I see. And uh, there's, like, a bunch of uh, Ukrainian T-72s just on the road doing, like, art- like. I think firing barrages, like, and we're driving past all this, like towards where their, their tank rounds are landing. And I'm like, and I'm like, um, can't like, I don't want to do Like I was trying to explain to him on Google translate, like, like, no, like, no, 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 absolutely not. And he's like, (laughs) no, no, it's okay. Don't worry. And we take a right. Thankfully, like we don't keep going straight to like where those fucking rounds are impacting and hitting. Um, yeah. And we go into this village, and uh, and he stops the car, and he he goes, he rolls down his window, and there's fucking like this is my first time I've been directly exposed to um, kind of like artillery in in that sense. Um, and there's fucking tank rounds going off like I don't know like a mile or two away, and like return fire I guess, but not at the town because this tiny little village because it's been totally leveled pretty much, so wow. that was nice. And he was like, okay, on Google Translate, he's like, we go to my mom's house to feed the chickens now. And I'm like, (laughs) 
like, you fucking dickhead. Like, this is like, the fuck, man. Like, do you not hear that? That's the sound of us going to die. And he's yeah, like, no, like, no, we'll be fuck? fine. So anyways, we, we get out of his car because he's like, we can't drive anymore. I'm like, why? He's like, mine. And I'm like, fantastic. Oh, fantastic, awesome, dude. dude. Like, awesome. Thank you. And he like... And he tells me on Google Translate, like, follow me. So I just walk with him for, like, 30 minutes into this village. Um, and finally, we, um, we get to his mom's house. His mom's house is still intact at this point. We go in the back, um, and uh, he gets, like, this plastic bucket and chicken feed, and he puts the chicken feed in the plastic bucket. Then I follow him again to, like, this spigot or, like, water pump in the middle of the town. Like, we walk five minutes there. And then he tells me to stop and looks down and, like, points at something and I can't see it. And he's, like, like he's, like, one second. And he, like, makes me walk back with him, like, five feet. And he takes this uh, cinder block and tosses it and it explodes. And I guess it was, like, some anti-personnel mine. Wow. Um, and anyway, so we go to the water spigot even after he, the fucking thing explodes. And we get water for the chickens. We come back. We give him water. Um, and then we drive back to Kharkiv City. Um, uh, and I was like, okay, Maxime, this guy's a little crazy. And he's like, yeah, everyone who lives in Kharkiv is a little crazy, man. <laughs> um, so anyways, he's like, he texts me the next day and says, okay, hey, man, like, I'm going to come back to pick you up. And this time, like, bring all your military and medical supplies. Um, we're going to, uh, we're going to go, he says, so from 4.30 a.m. to 6, I'm cooking for the artillerymen. And then at around 6.30, I'm going to drive back to Kharkiv and I'm going to pick you up. And we're going to go kind of drive to this uh, town called Zolichiv. Um, and we're going to, you know, drop off your tourniquets and stuff there. Um, so that's what we do at 6.30. I'm outside my apartment. He picks me up. I have like two bags full of tourniquets and hemostatic gauze and Israeli gauze. Uh, and um, we just drive through checkpoint after checkpoint. And... Um, I hand out a couple tourniquets at some of the checkpoints and there's a, there's two ambulances at the last checkpoint outside of Kharkiv on the road to Zolichev. And I hand over a bunch of tourniquets and hemostatic dressing and gauze to the, the paramedic dudes that are just kind of like smoking uh, by their ambulances. And then we get to Zolichev after about like an hour and like that town dude is, it's just getting rocked by artillery constantly. It's just like getting constantly rocked by artillery. So we go to the local military base there that's kind of like semi-underground and we hand them all the medical supplies and stuff like that and it's just getting rocked with artillery and Maxime's like, all right, let's get out of here now. So we drive out. Um, I'm not going to like dramatize it and say like we were driving out under artillery fire because we weren't. It was just all isolated to kind of the eastern side of the town. So we drove just to the western portion of the town. It's like a little township, but it's just still getting rocked, like enough for me to like kind of like think I'm going to have like a panic attack or something cuz like like they were close like so then yeah. uh on the way out uh we're driving and driving um and then like an artillery shell goes off like directly behind us and uh and we're all fine the windows aren't broken or anything um so like we're all fine but we stop at the first checkpoint and the first checkpoint and guards just laugh at us and like like pull something out of the back of the car and it's like a piece of shrapnel and, like, they give it to us, and they're like, welcome to Kharkov. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, yeah, and, and, like, Maxime gives me this piece of shrapnel, and he's just, like, kind of laughing 
um, is like, yeah, yeah, welcome to Harkov, man. And it's like, you did good. You're a good boy. And I'm like, oh, thank you. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I was like, like, at that point, I was like, yo, dude, like, I'm not going to entertain any notion of joining the Foreign Legion or the Ukrainian military because, like, that's some, like, intense shit. Like, that's, like... And, like, I was, like, that was just one hour of me being on the safer side of this town, not under direct artillery barrage. Because that's some, like, intense shit that's, like, not for me. Right, all. right. Um, uh, was that, yeah, was like, that that video you sent me? Like, I didn't hear any artillery go off, but, like, the, the alarms were going off. And you're, like, oh, shit, there's, like, artillery coming. Oh, no, dude. This, this, this we're, we're going to get to that part of the story. It's a really fun <laughs> part of the story. And the filthy, the filthy Americans involved in that part yeah, of the story. Yeah, yeah. This is that, yeah, that, that was not in Zolichev. Um, uh, so, anyways, we, we get back to town. I'm, like, all right, man, good luck, dude. You, you live a really crazy volunteer life. But um, something I might add as we're driving back to town. So at one of the checkpoints uh, that I mentioned earlier, it's like on the last checkpoint outside of Kharkiv City proper, um, uh, there were like two uh, ambulances that I uh, and the paramedics in there. I, I dropped off a bunch of tourniquets and Israeli guys and hemostatic stuff too. And when we came back, like all that was there was like burnt out. Um, burnt out military vehicle and two burnt out ambulances because I guess they got bombed and uh, wow. I couldn't yeah I couldn't see any bodies or anything uh, but I just assumed that everyone had died and it was like really sad but um, yeah so I get back to Kharkiv uh, and I'm like yo dude like that shit's intense like I need I need a break from this like this is like like I've been here for like almost two solid months now. Like I can't like, this is, this is fucking crazy. Like I just kind of realized what I was doing at that moment. Cause like I'd originally just gone to Ukraine, like to like volunteer, like in a humanitarian capacity and like in Poland or something. Like I, I didn't think I'd go directly into Ukraine and I kind of like took it all in for a minute and I was like, all right, cool. I'm going to go to Berlin. I have some friends in Berlin and I'm just going to go like for a couple of days there and just relax. So went to Berlin for a couple of days. Uh, and at that time, the filthy American messages me and is like, yo dude. Um, yeah. So like, I'm, I'm headed to Kharkiv, man. And I'm like, good luck, dude. Um, and he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, um, he gets to Kharkiv, I guess, with a um, with an acquaintance of his that he met in Poland, and I'm like, okay, well, I would like to meet, I would like to meet this dude, the filthy American, in person and keep, get it out of social media for once, and it would be a really interesting story. So I go back to Kharkiv with a bunch more medical supplies because uh, some of my friends in Berlin decided to like kit me out with a bunch of tourniquets and stuff. Um. And uh, so I go back to Kharkiv with more medical supplies. Um, and my first night there, the filthy Americans like, welcome to Kharkiv, dude. Like, let's meet up at this, uh, you know, at this uh, really cool bar I know. And it's, uh, they make this cherry wine there. And like, we should get to know each other. Because I, I guess he was like, kind of also sussed out at meeting like a total stranger in the middle of a war zone. Yeah. So we go to a bar. We go to a bar. Um, and in the bar are these three Ukrainian tankers and they're like, yo, they asked me like, who are you? Why do you have a tourniquet, like three tourniquets, uh, at like, um, removable 
areas on your backpack because I just everywhere in Kharkiv I went I just had it like tourniquets visible on me like that people could pull out and use if uh, if something bad happened and I was like oh do you want a tourniquet I was like motion tourniquet and they were like no 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 we have we have and uh, and I was like well we're Americans and then you know the filthy American being the journalist he is like so uh like uh who are you guys and they're like oh we we drive tanks you know for the ukrainian military and he's like oh interesting well i'm a journalist like can i interview you guys talk to you guys and like no 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 man um and then he's like okay well let's get drunk and then we all started to get drunk and then he asked them like yo do you guys know where a banya is and they're like yeah yeah we know where banya is and uh we we go and have a boys night at a banya and we all get pissed drunk <laughs> Um, and, uh, eventually it's like 1am in the morning and we're with these piss drunk tankers and, you know, we're breaking curfew and the tankers don't speak English that well. And, um, and we're just like, and we're just like chase, sorry, the filthy American is not having a great time at this point. Like he's like, he's, he's really, he's not having a great time because it's like 1am in the morning. We're all drunk. Um, we're like. 10 miles away from like where uh where he's living i'm like 14 miles away from where i'm living it's we're under curfew and if you're out of curfew you're going to be shot like that that those were the rules at the time in, uh, in Eastern ukraine like you're going to be shot but the tankers are laughing at us like when we google translate it to them they're like yeah yeah but we're drunk it doesn't matter you know and like you're with us you're fine <laughs> <laughs> like um so like you know like we're five miles into this fucking walk to get back to like just the tanker's apartment which is on the way to you know the filthy american's uh hotel that he's staying at and uh we get to our first checkpoint uh and the this checkpoint guard just cocks his gun at us and says halt and like and our tankers are just laughing their asses off at the guard and me and chase are just like panicking and we're like like Americanski, Americanski. <laughs> like don't don't shoot. Like we're holding our passports up. And we're like don't shoot. And then the checkpoint guard just starts laughing at us too, because uh, I guess like the the tankers had like I don't know like said something to the guard to like so they had they they had the guard just cock his gun at us to freak us out, um, which was you know really cool cool on them yeah uh, really chill <laughs> like, really thanks. chill, and then halfway. You know, halfway from that checkpoint to the next checkpoint, the air raid sirens start going off. And, like, you know, you know, we can hear, like, rockets, what I assume are S-300s, coming in and just impacting all over the city. And, and the filthy American at this point is just... I think he's one of those people that has to articulate his um, grievances and stress. And he's like, we're fucking in it now, bitch. Some drunk <laughs> tankers, we're gonna fucking die... Like, fucking my parents are going to think I'm some piece of shit asshole. And he's just not really happy. And I'm like, and I'm just like, well, how do you think I feel, dude? Like, like, this is, this is terrible. And he's like, yeah, dude, like, we're going to fucking die. So anyways, we uh, come to the conclusion that if we're going to die, we're going to listen to like some bomb out, bomb ass uh, soundtrack and playlist. Yeah, so yeah just why not, right? Like, yeah, paint it black, like. Led Zeppelin, you know, the classics and the tankers oh, yeah. all singing, we're all singing drunkenly. <laughs> then we get to the, you know, then we get to the, the, the final checkpoint. And what happens at the final checkpoint is uh, there is um, uh, Ukrainian military intelligence manning this, this checkpoint. 
um, because it's like so pivotal, pivotal to this part of the area. And the Ukrainian military intelligence are just, I guess they're, they're kind of like, they're very much more educated than the average Ukrainian uh, soldier is. And they're like, we're under this type of law. You're Ukrainian regulars. You're drunk. We're calling the MPs on you. You're going to get arrested. Oh, what the fuck? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, and, and then they added something else to the book, which is like, you have foreigners you got drunk to, and you're dragging them around an active war zone. And, and uh, so I, they call the, the MPs on them. And then me and the filthy American are just sat down with guns pointed at us. They're sat down with guns pointed at them, too. The MPs come and start kicking the shit out of them for, like, being drunk. Jesus and then they put, they put them in the back of the van and then like these ukrainian uh tankers were so chill though they were like they're like yo yo hold up hold up can you can you like take them back home like just like take them back to their place and the ukrainian military intelligence like calls up the local police officers and they get the local police to like just drop us back to our apartment uh and that was our first that was my first uh, encounter with the filthy american imp- <laughs> 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 Wow, that's a crazy story. Yeah. <laughs> hey, at least you got home though, right? Like, mm-hmm. shit. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So, like, uh, how how long were you out there for? Um. So, um, after that, I spent a um. I think I spent like the next two months just in and out of Kharkiv, going in and out there, like um, developing, and um developing contacts there and just trying to like see who was really going to put the last of the donation or donated kit I had to like proper use who was gonna who's just gonna scam me for it and all that stuff so I just spent like the next two months kind of uh out in Kharkiv just trying to get rid of all this uh, equipment I had nice what, what was like the time period that you were there I'm trying um, to think of like uh, you know what's been going on there and like match me, up the time. Right. Let me go back to my calendar. Uh, sorry, I got to go back to like my uh, my photo galleries so I can like. Oh uh, no, you're good. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I was there March till July. I want to say. Uh, okay. Okay. And then I left Poland in uh, October, I guess. Yeah, so July, I spent all my time. And then, yeah, I guess I, I, left, I left the Ukraine area for, like, for better or for worse in July. And then I kind of did my own thing, uh, traveling Europe, uh, Eastern Europe, I should say, uh, August, September, and October. Oh, nice, nice. Yeah. Do you do you have any like plans of going back to to Ukraine or um I'm trying to actually get my EMT license cuz I want to go to Syria and then Africa and then try and go back to Ukraine. It's it's really expensive, but if I have an EMT license, I feel like Doctors Without Borders or um or the Peace Corps or someone would like be able to actually give me uh help uh if I joined up with their NGO and just like I would really like to help people in Syria, in Africa, in, like, other war zones. Because, um, like, I don't know, I really felt like a real, um, I don't know, I, I really just like trying to help people out. 
And then, um, yeah, I just, I really like that. So I'm trying to get my EMT license right now in the States and figure out um, that in the future. But yeah, I, I do plan on going back to Ukraine at some point in the future. Yeah, that's awesome, dude. Wow. Some crazy stories. Dude, I can't get over the 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 florist in Poland. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, if you're ever in a little town in Lublin, you got to be real careful about which, which flor- florist you go to. <laughs> for real dude jesus christ yeah that's like super funny about the the ukrainian tankers like just taking you out <laughs> yeah yeah they just got us pissed drunk um just got into an argument with like fucking ukrainian military intelligence over like what they can and can't do at a <laughs> fucking checkpoint <laughs> dude wow that's so fucking crazy man oh my god i couldn't even imagine <laughs> So yeah, dude. Like, uh, would you want? Do you want to talk about the drones, like geolocating and stuff? Uh, yeah. So I have a um, a friend, um, and uh, he's uh, he's a he's not Ukrainian. So he was a he's a foreign volunteer as well. But he um, he's not part of the foreign legion or anything. But um, so he got a job in Ukraine for this um, this company. Uh, this company called Alpha Strike Ukraine. And, um, uh, what they, they do is they build them and 3d print out basically all the, the drones. I guarantee you all the drone footage you're seeing that are non DJIs, or maybe even some of the DJI Maverick footage you're seeing of like those attack drones or drones being utilized for offensive are probably from this company called alpha strike. Oh, wow. Or the equipment is, um, so like the droppers, the. The Velcro straps that like you can release to drop the bomblets, um, everything or the suicide kamikaze warhead drones. Like this, this company just builds them. Um, so yeah, um, and so basically, he. Um, so I was reading this this article on on Wired a couple weeks ago or like a week ago about how um, I think this. I don't know, this hacker group or something had released um, this program which allowed people to hijack the the, the DJI Mavericks, like, um, GPS or spoof it so that it could, like, give a live track to the operator so they could have the operator's GPS location. So I sent it over to my friend, and um, he said, oh, yeah, we're aware of it. Like, the Ukrainian military, like, we, we've we've been aware of this for, like, I don't know, like six months now since we started using drones in uh, in a warfighting capability. Um, so it took us like three months to switch over now to just trying to solely utilize kamikaze drones. And we're, um, he said they've been using it, uh, they've been using that technology already to great effect, like tracking down um, uh, Wagner or Russian soldier pilots using DJI Mavericks, like pinpoint their uh, position and like put it under direct artillery fire. Wow. Yeah. So I guess the Ukrainian military is trying to switch over from DJIs until that that spoof is fixed up, or DJI releases a software update or something to fix it. Um, to just solely kamikaze drones or FPV racing kamikaze drones and stuff like that. Uh, that makes sense. Definitely. And, uh, yeah, they're building their own, um, their own, uh, their own drones with like range finders and all that. So like they're trying to build their own drones, like kind of like 
that can do what the Maverick or DJI does, so they can still call in artillery strikes on, on a grid coordinates, but it's not as accurate as with a DJI. So, I don't know. It, it is interesting how in, in like, the, you know, in, in a war space, um, how fast information travels, like, among circles and stuff and how, how quickly it's adapted to. Um, but, yeah, so, like, I read this article, like, two weeks ago, and the Ukrainian military, uh, like, soldiers, like, just soldiers had, had been aware of this, like, problem for, like, five months already. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, so, I don't know. Like, yeah, and, I mean, I really wanted to talk to you about, like, um, you know, world affairs, um, conflict analysis, and, and all this stuff, because your your page is just so fascinating, and I was, like... Uh, I, I tried to listen to some of your, um, your podcast with Sino talk, uh, because I'm really interested in the whole, um, China situation right now. And it seems like there's so many, there's so much, you know, doom and gloom and, and rightful doom and gloom. And, but like also kind of like almost fear mongering too. Yeah, it was like yeah. really enlightening to, to talk to like Sino talk. And then, uh, on Instagram, I think there's like this, uh, really cool dude or group called, uh, Vermilion China. Yeah, I love that. that page. Yeah, dude, awesome that that page. that dude, that 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 page is sick, man. Like, and it's like so informative. So, like, I was like, you know, like I was like reading that thing about their, um, was it like their, uh, I I don't know. You were in the military, so you probably know about this way more than I do. Like the the military, the U.S. military, we utilize like, like a grenade machine gun or something, okay. right? Like, yeah, 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 and like he was like he did a post about like. The, the Chinese military, like, grenade sniper rifle and how intimidating it seems until you realize the only reason why they, they have that system is because they have been unable to re- reliably build, like, an offensive kind of, like, grenade machine gun system. And yeah. it's, like, it's, yeah, it's so it's so interesting to see, like, like contrapoints or, or different perspectives as to why you know, China utilizes this technology or these strategies and, like, what the real reasoning is behind it. Um, yeah. So, I, the, that's so, why I was, like, yeah. I was, so, yeah, that's why so, I listened to your podcast with Sino Talk. Um, unfortunately, yeah, he's the best, dude. Yeah, unfortunately, I was on a flight uh, to the East Coast at the time, so I was, like, in and out of it, sleeping. Oh, it's all good. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yeah, so yeah. if you have time, like, or even after the podcast ends, like, if we could do a call or something, like, I would love to hear, like, some more... Uh, some more of your insights and stuff. Cause I really want to get more into, um, more into this like geopolitical analysis and stuff like that. Cause I don't want to toot my own horn here, but like, like, um, uh, I, 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 I'm not a CFA or CPA. Like I, I failed the, the CFA and CPA tests, um, like to be a chartered financial analysis or yeah. uh, stuff like that. But uh, I still manage like, uh, some people's um, portfolios and this this one person's portfolio I managed right before the um, Russian the Russian invasion of Ukraine he he had a significant allocation to Sergut Gaz, which is this Russian um, uh, gas company and LNG uh, company and he had this company because of this very unique dividend it paid uh, anyways so like he was telling me like oh no 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 i want to sell the stock like regardless of whatever happens with russia and ukraine like i don't think russia's going to invade but i still want to sell the stock because it's going to do really poorly with negative public sentiment and i was like no 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 hold it 
because there are all these people who are going to expect you to sell the stock, who's going to put the stock prices high, stock price higher, and then we're going to sell the stock because at, probably at that time, the worst scenario is going to happen and Russia will invade Ukraine. And he was like, okay, so that's what we did. We sold it at a 200% return and plus that. he got his dividend. <laughs> um, <laughs> plus he got his dividend. And literally three days later, Russia invaded Ukraine and it was taken off the, uh, it was like um, taken off the exchange and uh, its shares were privately bought out by uh, Morgan Stanley and I think uh, Charles Schwab um, to take it off the US equity markets because it was, trading was halted on that. Um, but yeah, anyways, so like, I, but like I realized from that the true power like geopolitical analysis has. So that's why I really oh, revere yeah. and appreciate pages like yours um, who really look into it and make this information publicly accessible in a capacity in which me, just a casual person, can digest because I want to learn so much more about this. Yeah, so, like, for my page, I try to, I try to like, look at everything that's happening around the world at one time. Like, because, you know, we were talking about, like, Talk and Vermilion China. Like, they're China experts. Um, and I, I, I always go to them with questions like, <laughs> dude, like I DM Sino talk like all the time. He's probably so annoyed with me, <laughs> but he, he, he's so smart. And he knows so much about, you know, what's actually going on in China and, you know, the, the capabilities of the PLA and, and everything like that. And then you got Vermilion China who, dude, all the information you could ask for about like the actual military in China, in China, he has all the information about it. So I, I DM him sometimes too about it. And, and yeah, those pages are great, but yeah, like you're right, man. Like we, we need to focus, especially like, uh, you know, in the States, we need to, we need to understand what's going on around the world. And we need, we need more people like kind of making it public knowledge of stuff that's going on in Africa and the Middle East still, you know, in Asia and, and wherever in Europe too. But I, a lot of people are focusing, um, yeah, man. I just, I just like to analyze everything. Uh, South America too, you know? Um, I, I actually, I, I like to look into South America a lot. I don't post that much about South America, but, uh, I, I'm always looking into what's going on in South America as well. Um, but oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, if you, if you have any questions about South America sometime next year, I think I'll have a really good resource for you in the DMS. Uh, I have a, I have a, a a good friend of mine who's doing his internship for the uh for uh for a department that deals with things globally um put it that way and he's uh he's doing an internship there but it's it's non-clandestine or anything it's just more like preppy um stuff uh and he loves getting drunk and talking about all that stuff so <laughs> if you have any questions about south america that's where he's going to be posted <laughs> oh yeah i'd love to talk to him definitely yeah but um, yeah, man, I mean, uh, you know, any any specific questions like uh, my thoughts or opinions on something I'll answer. I, I don't I don't mind, you know. Um, right. Yeah. So I, I would really I, I like to ask this question to a lot of um, to a lot of a lot of people. Um, but I would really like to hear your thoughts. How do you see the best outcome for the war in Ukraine, like the best conclusion anyways, like what would, what would you expect to see or what would you forget about that? Like, what would you hope to see like in conclusion? Like, what do you think globally and for, I don't know, the Ukrainian people, like the best outcome we could hope to see globally and for the Ukrainian people? The best out, ah, man, that's a tough question. So right? <laughs> like, yeah, it's, it's hard because there's a lot of factors involved. Um, 
you know, obviously I just the best outcome is like that this just never happened and that like the Ukrainians just never got invaded. Uh, unfortunately, you know, <laughs> that's not the world we live in. And, um, you know, <sighs> basically the, like, this is what I, I think the only way the war is going to be concluded or at least, you know, a ceasefire for right now is there's going to have to be some concessions on both sides. Um, <sighs> Uh, it's hard you know i don't want to say like that that the ukrainians have to give up some territory because i don't want that to happen for them because that sucks but like i i can't see the russians like i can't see the i can't see putin just being like oh you know we're picking up and leaving you guys have your territory back like and i feel like they can they can continue this war for a long time i mean as it, I don't know, man. It, it's it, it's so many casualties already. It's just been a year, you know, hundreds of thousands of casualties. You know that that's like either dead or injured. Um, so much money's already been spent going into into the war from the West. Um, I, I don't know. I, I feel like to really make the to to end the war, there's going to have to be some kind of concession on both sides. And I don't know, I came across this graphic yesterday that uh, of all the countries that are still purchasing, you know, natural gas or, or oil from Russia, and uh, there's a lot of Western nations that still purchase all these things from Russia. LNG and stuff from Russia, yeah. Yeah, and it's like, it's like okay, you know, you're sending them, you're sending Ukraine military aid, but then you're, you're still buying all these things from Russia that's financing their war. I mean... I, <laughs> I don't and, know, man. And, and the crazy thing is, they're they're buying all that in dollars. Like, so there's a market going on in Russia where they can take those dollars and you know somehow make their financial system work with the benefit of dollars. Because you have to right. buy gas in dollars. So like right. India, exactly. India, yeah. India's buying. So like, I th- I think they set the the price of gas per barrel, like crude oil, like for the European is it eurozone and us zone for like what 70 70 bucks a barrel right it's something like that so like so india i know uh i can tell you more about this later but like a little bit about my uh my upbringing stuff i spent a lot of time in that area like so i know a little bit about india but um they're so like according to some of my friends there uh, they're, they're purchasing their their oil from russia at like 32 to 47 dollars a barrel oh wow yeah <laughs> and and china 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 is is trying to get that deal too, but I think they're they're still selling to China, at uh at like like fifty or sixty a barrel, but for whatever uh, reason they're selling to India, um cheaper. Yeah, <laughs> that's why I say like this war is so complicated and the implications of the war are so complicated that I, I you know, the best the best outcome. I mean, <sighs> I guess some concessions on both sides you know, to really end the war. And then, you know, you, you know, as a humanitarian worker, I mean, the crisis in Ukraine, like trying to rebuild Ukraine is going to be nuts. Like, I can't yeah, even imagine how many... I can't. Yeah. I literally cannot imagine the, the scale and scope of that. And I mean, it's, it's just, yeah, it's insane. Um, it really is insane. Yeah, I don't, I don't know how it can be done. And I, I can't imagine how they did it to Europe after World War II. Like, Right, right. It's like, it's just, I don't understand. My brain just doesn't really com- compute sometimes. It's like, how, like, you've probably seen, like, uh, it's, like, really popular right now on the OSINT pages, like, uh, was it Marinka, or that, that town, the 10,000 people that's been totally leveled? Uh, yes. 
Yeah. Yeah. So, so imagine that, but like, so like there, there are literally parts of Kharkiv and parts of Nikolaev uh, that like that I've been to that, that literally look like that, but in a modern, like metropolitan, large scale city, it's like, it's, it's, it's just, it's, it's a crazy sight to see. It's crazy. Yeah. That's insane. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like you mentioned rebuilding after world war two, like um, so I have family that lives in Sicily and right. uh, when I was over in Europe with the military, um, I went and visited them. And, you know, we, we were like walking around some of the towns or whatever. They live in, they live in Palermo. And um, in, in parts of it, uh, I guess like whatever, you know, historical societies or whatever, they, they maintained a lot of the buildings that were hit during World War II. They're being held up by like, by like nets, bro, like nothing. That's and, crazy. Um, yeah, but like, but like, you see some of the destruction, and that's just like a tiny little snapshot in time of what happened. And like, so many cities in Ukraine are just—it's that, like, just just ruins. You know, like how like how much money is is going to be put into into building up Ukraine again and, and spending the money for that? Like, like, dude, <laughs> that's such a complicated question. I appreciate the question, but like, man, I'd have to really like. Like you could write a whole freaking thesis on that, <laughs> right? So I have another question for you, and uh, and um, yeah, and like so, like okay, I, I mean I don't really know what's going on now because it's like I I I personally believe like it's trying to be solved still at the diplomatic level, and I've seen no evidence of it. But um. So I think there was a, a a month or so ago, starting a month ago or a couple weeks ago, there was a, you know, there's a little bit of an outcry of concern from the, from the State Department, uh, from the, uh, from, from their INR team, that they had information that China was planning on giving Russia uh, weapons or arms, and if that is indeed the case, how would that further complicate? Or how would the U.S. be forced to respond, in your opinion? I know this is like a question for Sino Talk or Vermilion yeah. China. And, and believe it or not, I, I think I asked, I asked one of them their thoughts on this. And it was, it was not a good, it was not, it was not a, it was a very articulated response, but it, was, it, it did not bode well. But like, yeah. <laughs> what do you think your thoughts would be if, um, if we saw evidence that outside of the diplomatic channels and stuff that, that China had already... Uh, so to speak, actually given, um, like, I'm, I'm sure the Chinese are giving Russia as much intelligence as they can provide to, to like, oh, yeah, kind of that's, just, that's, yeah, of course. I feel like but let, happening. Yeah, let's, and also because it's augmenting Chinese military capabilities as well, just collecting and providing intelligence to Russia. Like, I'm sure it's augmenting and growing their military capabilities and intelligence collecting yeah, capabilities definitely. as well. But what what would you say would be the U.S.'s and NATO's immediate reaction or like a, a, a proportionate response if they found out that like someone a, a country like china had started to provide actual weapons that could change the tide of this war um to to russia what what do you think would what occur i think they had said that um if they did find out or find evidence that china was arming russia that they were going to you know, the old sanctions, the old sanctions card. I think right. uh, they had come out and said that. So um, I guess if they're planning to, to hit China with a bunch of different sanctions, I mean, that goes a little deeper, though, because our economy is so entwined with 
with the Chinese economy. So I guess that would probably hit them a little hard. I mean, from that point of view, that perspective, but uh, I don't think there would be like a direct military confrontation as far as, you know, like boots on the ground or anything. Um, right. You know, in, in that region, I mean, the U S is trying to, to constantly exert more influence in the area, like with Japan and, and the Philippines and stuff like that. I think recently, They've they've made some deals with Japan to like give them some weapon some more weapons and set up some more um, some more I guess like bases in the Philippines and stuff like that. So uh, they're trying to respond in that sort of way I, as far as influence. Um, but uh, you know if the, if you if there's like direct involvement from China, you know giving giving Russia weapons that could maybe potentially push them further into Ukraine and and stuff like that. I mean, from what I saw, their their response was going to be, you know, major sanctions, I guess, like what they did to Russia as far as their immediate response um, further than how people would go. But, yeah, I think I think their immediate response would be sanctions. Right. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I just like I don't know for whatever reason, I just I have this like suspicion um, that basically what happened was china did supply russia with um arms uh the state department kind of decided to go the diplomatic route and say they suspect china planned on on sending arms and stuff oh i see and they said they they did they did the whole diplomatic act and stuff and maybe they offered some concessions to China or, or something um and they're still trying to solve it at the diplomatic level which is why we haven't seen russia effectively utilize that but i think like i don't know you like, think it happened, if you want right? if you want if you want to hear my opinions like china is just such a fickle like kind of like 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 I mean, just like their 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 processes and way of doing things is basically to lie and fuck over everyone to get people as confused as possible and then seem like they're doing like something that we can relate to and say like oh they're gonna solve this and then just totally like forget about that and just still like say like okay we bullshitted them into doing you know the whole diplomatic charade and we like we kind of own them by doing that and now we're gonna just give the green light to russia to just totally utilize everything we've given them <laughs> <laughs> like yeah, that's man. my opinion like because like this whole yeah like i don't believe me. it yeah i don't believe like like you, you remember how china was doing like that that wolf warrior diplomacy and like chen huawei on twitter was like calling like u.s senators like a lifetime bitch award or something like do you remember <laughs> that yeah <laughs> yeah and then and then um their 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 what 75th annual party congress thing happened and they shifted up government and they changed people out of position and the new york times was like hailing it as like a great diplomatic moment because they're they're changing out their wolf warrior diplomacy course and like they're clearly like want more peaceful solutions or better diplomacy with the West. But I think that's just a charade. Like I I really do. I think that's just to like, I I don't, I don't necessarily know how much of that I I genuinely believe. Yeah. I can, I, I, I see that. I see what you're saying. They're always trying to, they're always trying to like play chess, not checkers. (laughs) Right. Exactly. Exactly. But, but still like I, they should keep, they should keep Chen Huawei on. man. like he, he has like, trump level tweets like (laughs) (laughs) gotta love it (laughs) that's hilarious um yeah and then like um 
yeah like is, is there any more uh, geopolitical stuff like we can uh so, we can talk about and stuff because like you you just are it's very interesting yeah so like i so like i said i'm no china expert i always go to sino talk of vermilion china for that stuff but and, and honestly sino talk kind of like when i spoke with him i kind of it put me a little bit more at ease because he was kind of like yeah you know china does things but it seems like they're you know because Everyone's always like, oh, 2025 or 2027, they're going to invade Taiwan and then it's going to be this big thing. He's kind of like on the, the opposite um, thought of that. He's like, no, they just they're trying to build up their capability to be able to do something like that. It doesn't mean that they will do it. They'll try to exert influence in different ways, this and that, like politically. And I'm like, OK, OK, that's good. That makes sense. But honestly, uh, like as of, as of lately, my some of my concern has moved towards like Iran their nuclear mm-hmm. uh, program that they've been building, which is apparently now all of a sudden they can, they're like super close to building a nuclear warhead. And right. The US ironically, is, right. Yeah, ironically, ironically after, yeah. after all the swaps with Russia and all the Shahid drones and all yeah. that stuff, like you got to wonder, you got to <laughs> wonder, you got to wonder yeah, why, yeah. why they gave them all those drones yeah. for nothing. And then, and then you got the U S all of a sudden now is like, Hey, by the way, Israel, like, you we're giving you basically the green light you can go and do whatever you need to do to end their nuclear program and i'm like whoa whoa i'm like what the what does that fucking mean (laughs) like (laughs) you can just do whatever you want now to end the nuclear you know that's where where i'm looking now my eyes are focused on that i'm like whoa holy shit like that like that could escalate very quickly and and i don't know you know (laughs) right was it you who who posted on the story about um uh, was it was it uh what is it benny boy who's who's the who's the prime minister of israel again Nate, oh yeah, Nate benny, yeah 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 Nate, like yeah. He, he just basically said these iranian politicians claims are, are bullshit and yes. like they mean nothing was it yeah. you who posted that on the story yeah i came across that this morning and i was like oh here we fucking go <laughs> yeah dude like but you know the israelis like if they if they have like like they're gonna be so cold and efficient about just a total strike. Like they're gonna they're gonna make sure Iran cannot respond if they're gonna do a preemptive strike. Yeah, I agree. They're very yeah, they're very calculated like that, and their capabilities are vastly underestimated. Um, oh yeah, dude, the Israelis know what the fuck is up. Like yeah. like they had. Oh, that's that's another fun thing. Like if you want to briefly touch upon this, like I don't know what your thoughts on the podcast are. It's like it might be kind of boring for you. It might not be what you're audience is looking for but dude like like look i know nothing about spycraft or anything aside from like watching a couple seasons of alias when i was a kid with my parents <laughs> yeah um and like kind of meeting like i don't know like a few uh indian intelligence officials when i was like younger uh but like like or tradecraft or any of that but like dude there were so many multinational spies in ukraine and poland like oh, so it. many, like so many fucking spooks. And like, I just, I, I think the thing that caught me off guard was how noticeable they were. Like the ones that you couldn't tell who they were were like, like, like the ones who were like, like who, 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 who really had like a good story. Like, oh, I'm a Brazilian politician, like, or like I'm a Brazil, I'm part of the Brazilian diplomatic team. And it's like, I'm just here to meet like this dude that I met on the Grinder app in, you know, in this bar in Poland, like. <laughs> and like what are like what are what are you here doing what's your name what's all this like it was like those types of people that you couldn't tell were actually the, the spies but like 
But, like, in Ukraine, because I guess the situation was so tense with, like, I guess Russian intelligence officers, too, because there's so many Russian spies in Ukraine still, that they were all, like, super off guard. So, like, if you went up to one, like, here's an example. Like, I was in, um, I was in this hotel in Lviv, and, uh, and this, this fresh French couple was in the stairway at, like, 3 a.m. in the morning, uh, the stairwell of the hotel, and I, I needed a, a phone charger because my phone was dead. I, I left my charger, um, and I had no way to set an alarm to check out of the hotel. So I was like, shit, like, I got to stay up. So I was just walking around the hotel. And they kept, like, um, they kept, like, staring at me, like, while I was walking around the hotel. And then I noticed them, and I was like, oh, maybe they'll have, like, a phone charger they can give to me. So I kind of, like, oh, how am I going to go approach them? Like, super awkward conversation to have at 3 a.m. in the morning. Uh, and then I heard them speaking French, and I was like, okay, that, this is the way to do it. I'll be like, excuse me, are you guys French? <laughs> um, so, like, I went up to them, and I was like, hi, excuse me, are you guys from France? And the dude immediately, like, snaps his, his head to me and uh, turns off his phone and was like, yes, we're from France, but you already knew that. What do you want? What are you here for? Like, like he, he, like, immediately sa- like, he immediately said that to me, and the lady stepped up a stair and like had like her hand like on her back like like she had like a gun or something and they just stared at me like super on edge i was just like oh uh i, I need a phone charger and i i felt really awkward because i didn't know how to ask you guys for one and then they like immediately loosened up and smiled and were like oh yeah of course dude like yeah and like they, their accents changed and they were like all friendly and they gave me uh the, the lady ran to their room got a phone charger and and gave it to me but like i guarantee you they were like they were fucking intelligence officers or something like they were they were part of the what is it gs whatever but um dude, i think yeah, dude, like so a problem how many, i think it's yeah. so funny how many people think you're a spy <laughs> yeah it, it is funny but it's like it's like it kind of sucked man because i just wanted friends like no one wanted yeah. to be friends with me because of that like they're like oh he's some fucking spook and it's so lonely like to just travel around ukraine with a backpack in bus and car not have anyone to speak to like not understand russian or ukrainian have to like listen to fucking like podcasts for hours just in a bus while people stare at you like while you're in this tiny little shithole town like and have like three backpacks and the police keep checking your backpacks and you're like who are you with and i'm like i'm by myself they're like oh interesting come talk to us why are you by yourself yeah. It's like <laughs> I'm by myself because everyone thinks I'm a spy and no one wants to be friends with me. <laughs> no, that means you're definitely a spy. <laughs> Dude, that's hilarious. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah, it sucks, man. But yeah, there's so many fucking intelligence officers in Europe and in Poland. Like in Poland, dude, like I don't know, it's just like it's crazy out there. Like everyone every other person you meet in Warsaw that like speaks English or is like dressed really nicely and like warsaw centrum on the weekends is it's like a fucking case officer i bet you anything <laughs> yeah no you're probably right shit um but yeah uh, i wanted to ask you uh an- another question um kind of regarding that whole iran israel situation like what would happen to the middle east or in the middle east if if israel responded in a in a preemptive kind of manner uh if they had actionable intelligence that that iran is just gonna fucking build a nuke or like already has one and they think it's gonna put israel in danger like would that like if they struck iran would that mean like another kind of like unified 
Antifada from the rest of like uh, the Middle East against Israel? Like, what what do you think would happen there? Well, I think first it would depend on like what the strike was. Like, you know what I mean? Like how serious it was, what exactly happened, and then basically how how Iran would respond. But Iran would respond based on, I guess, the strike that took place. Because didn't re- like remember recently they sent like kamikaze drones and they hit targets in Iran. Yeah. Um, but th- th- apparently it didn't really do anything, and I haven't really seen like a huge response from Iran yeah. about yeah. like for those drones. So you know, it it would really depend. It depend like if if Israel struck them where it was like a huge deal. I mean, mm-hmm. th- you know, then then there could be a war that breaks out. I mean, then, yeah, right. I guess there would be a unified, uh, you know, response as far as like from NATO and the West. And yeah. Did you uh, did you read that article uh, analysts put out? I, I don't remember. I don't think it was Bellingcat, but like some some a few analysts like put out an article where they were looking at photos of the drones and they believed like the I don't know, like these analysts know way more than like these open source analysts that used to be in like field craft and trade craft know so much more than just a casual like fucking nerd like i do right, right. They, they said there were indications by images that the irgc released of the drones that like they, they believe that they were like printed or created in iran right was, did you read that oh no i didn't read that I yeah so it was like that. they believe that they, they, there was like a message to say we can we can get you guys wherever whenever we want even if it's like domestically in your own country Oh wow! Yeah, they yeah, uh, or something something about how the drones were built or the materials used. Like that's that was the message that they wanted to send or something. Uh, I'm gonna look into that. Yeah, it's, that's crazy. And then yeah. um, I just to you know like I I don't know what your time is. I'm good on time, but I wanted to ask you where do you um like how do you like all how do all these open source pages like on your stories and stuff like how do you find all these new like all this news like I guess that's my ultimate question like where. Where is this information you guys get? Like, where is it just coming from? Like, what information sphere are you using to be able well, to output this so fast? Well, so I, I can tell you what I do. I mean, I don't know what everyone else does, but I'll tell you what I do. Like, so um, obviously, I'm just I'm be on like social media like all day. Like, I'll be on like like uh, Twitter or Telegram or whatever, and you know, so, like people will post stuff. I follow a bunch of like different pages on telegram and on Twitter. And then I, I see what gets posted and then I, I cross reference it. I'll go and like look for articles or look for something in a news source, like to try and, and get the full story on it. So like, I don't know, like, I, like I look, I, I look at the mainstream news as well. Like I try to cross reference different, different stuff that happens like, you know, by the moment. And um, yeah, I just try to cross reference it with at least like two or three sources to get the full picture and then I'll, I'll post about it, but it has oh, to that's be cool. Yeah. It has to be pretty done pretty quick though. And, uh, it's very time consuming. <laughs> like, Damn. I, I, I am busy like throughout the day. Um, sometimes looking around, I mean, when I'm not, you know, if, if sometimes like I'm not, uh, posting that much, it's cause I, you know, I am in the middle of getting a master's degree. I am in the military uh, you know, I like to work out. I, I've been training jujitsu for like 10 years. So oh, that's like, cool, dude. I used yeah. to be an amateur boxer. And then oh, after nice. my first, my first boxing match, like I got like 
severe brain trauma, so I just never boxed after that. Oh, shit. <laughs> but, yeah, so, like, I don't know. I, 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 try to, I try to keep up with it. I mean, dude, there's some pages that are, like, fucking high speed, bro. Like, they got they – Yeah, got dude. <laughs> They got information coming out like like fast, like by the second. Um, I can't speak to exactly how they do it, but I'm just I'll just tell you how I do it. Like I look around through social media and then I just cross reference everything I find with other with different articles to try and make sure that it's it's right. Like I like I, I follow like Russian sources too, you know. Right, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. They're posting. They, they often know. reveal stuff like if, if if even if it's like some of it is misinformation or like just like propaganda to keep their citizens hyped up, right? Like yeah. overseas. Like yeah. they reveal stuff like that they don't think they're revealing by doing that too, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's and interesting. It, it, the Russian stuff is so funny though, because like a lot of their numbers are so inflated. Like you <laughs> like you'll just look at this the stuff they're they're reporting and you're like, okay, bro, like this is not w- what's going on, but yeah, it's what's fun. going on here, man? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, yeah, that's essentially how I do it. It takes a little bit of time, but I mean, the information's all out there, like it's all open source. So yeah. cool. Yeah. I have another question because um, you're in the military and you're trying to get your master's. Yeah. Um. So like, are you try- like? Does that mean you're like trying to? That this isn't my question, but it's, like, does that mean you're trying to go like? the officer route or are you already in that like or is that yeah, just so, something you want um, to do so this is th- i'll give you a little background so i was i joined the military as a 15 romeo that's an apache helicopter mechanic oh so sick. yeah so then i got i got stationed in savannah georgia uh i was there for a few years and i worked on the apache helicopter there's that uh that air base out there hunter army airfield um while i was there we went out to germany too um they do like a, a joint exercise in nato it's called like defender we were there in 2020 so defender 2020 um it got kind of kind of cut short because of covid but um but yeah we were out there for that and um yeah so then i had a bachelor's degree going into the military and to be honest bro like i joined the military because i was like i gotta get out of i gotta get out of where i'm from like right. i had to i just had to go uh, and and it just was what it was at the time. So the quickest really way, to, yeah, the, the quickest way to do that uh, in the military is enlist. Because if you're going to try to become an officer off the street, there's a lot of different. And um, yeah, it's not as simple as like, oh, I have a, a degree, make me an officer. Right. <laughs> so I, you know, I, I did that for a few years. I, I and then. I think it was my platoon leader was like, Hey, uh, you know, you want to do this green to gold thing. And basically what that is, is you stay in the army, right? I'm in the army and, um, you get your degree. So for me, it would be a master's degree because I have a bachelor's already and the army pays you, uh, your regular salary. Like you were still in, I'm still in the military. I still, uh, you know, I have, I'm still a DOD employee. I'm still in the army and they pay me like I'm like, I'm an active duty soldier. And, but my, finish my master's and then I'm i'll great. be yeah and then i'll be a second lieutenant so in may i'm commissioning i'll be a second lieutenant and i'm going signal i'll be a signal officer oh so in like is that in like this sigint world and stuff like that yes yep oh cool yeah like um, well congratulations on the yeah. on the um on getting your master's man like that that's that's huge dude um it's a dream of mine one day <laughs> yeah, no, yeah congratulations man yeah for sure um, but my my question was like um, so I can't say who, but it's it's someone who I've met in the open source uh, world kind of rather recently since I got back 
um, from Ukraine and was talking to them. And um, so he has this, this, uh, this person, he has um, like a, a friend who's like a female officer uh, in, in, the, uh, uh, in the Air Force. And she was telling him that she was like, they were at like a, I guess the, the military, like they do joint intelligence too, I guess, or like presentations of intelligence. Yeah, like between the branches, of, yeah. Between the branches. Yeah. And was, she knows this guy, like, has his, like, Twitter page and his Instagram page. And, and like, he's part of this, uh, like, he's the founder of, like, this open source website and stuff. And then she sees his name and all these other contributors to his, his website and some of these other contributors' Twitter feeds in, like, this Intel package. And they're using, like, some open source Intel to, like, follow some like kind of narrative like they're trying to track this history of like this um this 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 chechen fighter on the russian side who's like going in and out of that and like but helping like do like radical stuff in the middle east and i I was just like blown away how like how crazy the open source world is if it if it's being uh if it's being capitalized upon by like military intelligence officers to like help decrease the their burden of like tracking someone or doing all this so i was just like i was like whoa this is this is crazy oh yeah they use they use open source for like everything like well not everything but like all the time um yeah i mean yeah i didn't realize like like yeah i was like shocked i was like wow this is this amazing i was like good (laughs) good for the open source crew like that's that's a win like that's amazing oh yeah that's definitely a win for sure yeah yeah, I remember, um, you know, I was uh, uh, I was still a 15 Romeo and we were in Germany and I was on staff duty. <laughs> Fucking sucks. It's like a 24 hour shift. But I'm sitting there and I came across um, a briefing that it was unclassified. So it's like not a big deal if I talk about it. But um, it was a briefing that they were doing about um, Russia, you know, Russia's capabilities at the time. This was like before the invasion. This was in 2020. Right. But. Yeah, so like, oh, and and I was going through the slides, and like all the stuff that they had, like they they put the sources at the bottom. It was all OSINT stuff. Like it was all holy open shit. Source. Yeah, yeah, it was all open source. Like like pictures coming out and like different capabilities. Like it was all all open source. I'm like, oh, they literally are just like like searching these OSINT pages. <laughs> yeah, and like and like using them. Like they, the army and, and the military in general, like they have their own open source people. They have their own human people, SIGINT, GEOINT, stuff like that. But yeah, I mean, they use that to their to their ability. advantage, right? Yeah, yeah if it's sure. a resource, why not use it? If, and if it's a free resource, like even better, right? Oh yeah, for sure, dude. They they monitor all that stuff all the time. They it, it but it's smart. I mean, I would I would do that too. Yeah. Oh. Um because you're in the art because like you're part of the army um i don't know if like i I really don't know what your timing is on the podcast and we can talk later but i have some funny stories about like like obviously there's stuff i i I just didn't share on this podcast like and i I would love to like tell you later about like some of the crazy shit the ukrainian military is fielding that i've seen um but i have a really funny story of like some of your guys i think it's the 101st airborne but how they yeah, yeah. yeah how they all got fucking like I, I i feel like such an asshole but um i got them to go to this this strip club in poland um <laughs> that I'd, I'd i'd heard like this strip club kind of just like they like get you drunk and like try and drug you and steal all your money 
Oh, um, Jesus. and I just heard I just heard about it. But these um, 101st Airborne dudes, I was at this bar and they were just kind of like, they were like being a little bit rowdy and stuff like that. And then I was like, yo, yo, are you guys like from the 101st Airborne? Oh, you guys look so cool. Like your patches are so cool. And they're like, yeah, yeah, we're here to like, you know, we're, we're defending, you know, democracy in Europe, bro. And like, and stuff like that. And like, you know, you look like a nice kid and like, we're here to keep you safe. And I already been in like Ukraine like a couple times <laughs> at that point. And I was like, oh, damn, that's cool, bro. Yo, can I buy you guys some lap dances at this strip club, dog? And literally every single one of your, like, 101st Airborne boys in that bar, like, ears perked up, like, 20 dudes. They all just <laughs> stared at me like, strip club? Where? <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and, like, I told them where the strip club was and all that stuff. And then a bunch of them, like, started talking. And I guess they, they wanted to return to their base to, like, dress in civvies or something. Cause, like, but then three of them... Like, they just unbuttoned their shirts and gave it back, and they had, like, their fatigues on. But they were like, yo, take us to the strip club. Uh, and, and I took them to the strip club, and they just got, like, super fucking hammered. Um, and before they could get taken advantage of, like, I just was like, I told them, like, uh, let, we got we to gotta get out of here. But, like, um, but, yeah, they got, like, super hammered and, like, puking on strippers and it was, it was hilarious <laughs> it was hilarious yeah bro but but it was like my way of being like dude like it's like it was fucked up because one of them like ruffled my hair and like called me like tried to call me a kid and he was fucking shorter than me oh my god <laughs> but yeah it was like my way of like kind of getting revenge but but your boys from the 101st airborne man you guys you army guys you guys are fun you guys are all right people yeah man we like you like to fuck around yeah dude it's so fun like yeah, yeah. so fun yeah yeah, man. Um, yeah, dude, I guess, uh, you know, we can talk later, um, but I am kind of running a little low on yeah, time. Yeah, for sure. Now. Of course. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, dude, I'll, I'll hit you up on either WhatsApp or Instagram for sure. Yeah, that would, that would be great because I have just so many more questions for you. And uh, there's a lot more stuff I want to I want to talk to you about uh, that, like from my time in Ukraine. Uh, yeah, definitely, yeah, dude. I, I, dude, just, I, I can't share it talk. on the podcast. I, I can't share it on the podcast. No, nah, it's all good. It's all good. <laughs> Yeah, no, man. I had a great um, talk yeah. with you, bro. I just I, I didn't know you had so many stories. I, I appreciate uh I appreciate like uh the time you put into this man, even while pursuing a master's degree. It's really interesting. Um and it's always like I, I really since your page has come out, like I've sent it to a couple of my friends and they they like it too. Um it's really cool, dude. So No, nah, I appreciate thank it. You. Man. Thank, thank you, you, thank you for the time and effort you put into this. Yeah, no problem, man. Thank you for going get that over master's there. degree, dude. Get yeah. that master's degree, man. <laughs> Hell yeah, dude. Hell yeah, dude. All right, brother. I'll right, talk peace. to you later. Yeah, yeah, All peace, right. man.